You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 466. Yeah, he's up in the sky. Listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door, with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG Headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on April Fool's Day, 2021. episode, a Southwest pilot gets caught on an open mic describing San Francisco with the F word. The British RAF grounds all of their Hawk T1 jets after one of them crashes. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale of Prela Adin. So get all settled in, tray tables and seat backs at the upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 466 is ready for pushback. Hello, and uh, that was Radio Roger, a guy that claims that he is like a TV and radio reporter in New York City. But we're really, really not sure about that. Anyway, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast scraping the bottom of the aviation barrel with fake news and feedback from people who think that what they've sent us is actually interesting. I'm a guy who calls himself Captain Jeff, who hopes that no one ever does enough research to blow my cover story. And joining me today, from her van, somewhere down by the river in South... A very attractive woman who would like us to believe that the out-of-focus diplomas and certificates on the wall in her background are real. Dr. Steph. I don't hear I'd like to see you prove it. Oh, there we go. (laughs) Yeah, it also helps if I have a working microphone, you know. Some people would say that we're in quotes professionals here but they'd be wrong about that too. <laughs> no i don't know anybody wouldn't say that and uh also joining us from an underpass somewhere in illinois a man who spits out non-stop techno garbage hoping no one will listen closely enough to realize it's all a bunch of bunk miami rick you're on to me apparently <laughs> I know I you. It's just a matter of time. <laughs> and hey, don't be hitting on my underpass. It's cozy. <laughs> okay. It looks like it. All right. And from his studio in... In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. A gray-haired, gray-bearded old man whose senility has progressed to the point that he believes he once was a fighter pilot and then an airline captain. It's Captain Nick. Oh, oh, you, you couldn't, you couldn't wait until I was dead before you said that. No, we couldn't wait. Damn you! Yeah, damn you! Time for the news. Stand by for news. I have to, before we start with the news, I have to mention that I'm very, very nervous because um, 
the CEO of Delta Airlines is with us in uh, the YouTube chat room, Ed Bastian. <laughs> Hello, Not sir. Acme. Not Acme. No, no, that's true. I don't have to worry about it then. Okay. I know you got nothing to worry about. Uh, all right. Let's start with uh, item one uh, in the news. Jet grounded after Royal Navy pilots survive crash in Cornwall. And this is from the Times. Uh, while it remains inappropriate to comment on the ongoing investigation, further technical advice has enabled the chain of command to make appropriate decisions on the continuing safety assessments of the wider fleet. What am I reading? doesn't make any sense. Consequently, the RAF has resumed Hawk 1 uh, T1 it's an, flying. It's an update, Jeff. Oh, it's uh, an update. That, Thank you. Thank you, Liz. Well, how come it doesn't... It's, it's there... It did say update at some point. Oh, yeah, it does say update there. It. I skipped that. I, did, I wasn't paying attention to that. So it's basically saying after the fact, the red air. Who's this professional going, podcaster we have in charge of this I thing? Don't I don't know. I don't know. This producer you. director that's in my ear right now is trying to explain what I was just reading. <laughs> it just threw me completely by surprise. Anyway, let me start with the... Um, the top, where I should have started here. The Royal Navy and RAF have grounded 44 of their Hawk jets after one crashed in Cornwall yesterday. Two pilots were forced to eject from the Royal Navy aircraft moments before it crashed into Woodland. Navy sources said that the flying of the T-1 variants of the jet had been temporarily paused as the cause of the crash was investigated. The grounded jets comprise eight used by the Royal Navy, 22 by the RAF, and 14 by the Red Arrows. Uh, many of them the, they had in their inventory they had to get rid of because they found out that Captain Anderson had actually piloted them. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, the Ministry of Defense said that the cause of the crash would be investigated. Safety is our paramount concern. The RAF has decided to pause Hawk T1 operations as a precautionary measure. We will review the situation as further information becomes available. The jet was on its way to take part in a training exercise known as Thursday War in which Royal Marines, ships, and aircraft carry out war games. During the exercise, the Hawks typically simulate bombing missions against the ships. Shortly after takeoff, or setting off, the crew got into trouble and were forced to turn around. They ejected before the aircraft crashed a few miles from its base. What do you think, Nick? Do you think they uh, just lost? It only has one engine, right? Single engine? Yeah, exactly right. Uh, sounds like either an engine fault or they ingested something, perhaps. Um and no way to tell until uh, some kind of an inquiry is made and they can examine it. But uh, the the uh, the aircraft came down uh, in a wooded area so they can get at it. It's just a matter of time before they, uh, um, you know, find out the cause. Uh, they granted all the Hawks uh, of that variant. And bearing in mind, these Hawk T1s um, were around when I was instructing on them in the... Oh, uh, Late 70s, early 80s, uh, early 80s, really. Um, so uh, they're pretty long in the tooth. I mean, there are mm -hmm. more advanced variants now around, uh, but these particular ones uh, are the oldest ones they have. They have, And I'll tell you what, when, when we first got them, we used to pull the wings off them. So <laughs> what they're like uh -huh. now, I do not know. Yeah. <laughs> don't I mean, they were like uh... 8G capable, very impressive. Well, don't don't some of our uh, T38s go back to the date back to the 60s? The I probably, yeah, maybe late 60s. Yeah. But they're finally getting rid of those uh, whenever the the replacement jet um is available to uh start filling in, but they're still I think that jet's still on the drawing board. I don't even think they have a prototype of it yet. Or maybe they do. I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, I'm glad the ejector seats all work fine. 
uh, they've got a good quality eject seats in their command eject system. Uh, and these particular halts that the Navy uh, use, um, they used to have an outfit called uh, Fradu, I think, and they flew old hunters. And basically they simulate um, ship mis- anti-ship missiles for the uh, Royal Naval uh, defense systems to practice against. So they just moved on to these. I think these are airframes that are probably a bit old now. So uh, the Air Force getting rid of them. And I think most of these T1s will be gone uh, later this year. Yeah, Interesting. Okay. Uh, just reading at the very bottom of this article, it says the ejection seat manufacturer Martin Baker said it's the first Royal Navy ejection in 18 years. So wow. the oh, yeah. Royal Navy does not have to eject very often. No, no, they usually pile in, sitting in the airplane. I'm joking. <laughs> Sorry, joking. Um, now, I was going to say, though, I think this is number 7001 and 7002 for Martin for Baker. For Martin Baker. Yeah. Yes, here oh, it's for wow. Martin Baker. You. Yeah, very good. Uh, yeah. And over here, uh, the Navy uses a T-45. Uh, uh, it's a variant. Well, it's basically uh, on the Hawk jet. Um, uh, obviously, beefier landing gear and all that for uh, carrier qualifications and carrier operations. But uh, it's it comes from the T-1. Yeah, it is. It's, uh, it's the same basic design um, built under license. Uh, by the mm-hmm. way, uh, Neil Lawn in the uh, chat room says, Caterpillar Club? No. Uh the Caterpillar Club comes from the Irving Parachute, uh, and it's a beautiful little gold um, silk uh, caterpillar with a ruby eye. Uh, and since um, most of the parachutes now provided uh, for ejector seats are made by Aeroconical, certainly in uh, the United Kingdom they are. Other countries' uh, parachute manufacturers may vary. Um, Aeroconical do not give you a Caterpillar. Sorry to say, but Martin Baker yeah, give you a nice tie, apparently. Oh, well, that's nice. Um, just a quick break, um, and I, I was just talking with Liz about this. Um, Rick, go ahead and say some things. It sounds like your audio is doing weird things. Ooh, testing, testing, one, two, three, four. Hear me? Yeah, we hear you, but is it doing the same thing for everybody else on the panel that... It's kind of yep, it's like break, clicking, it's breaking break. up yeah. a little. Yeah. Huh. Really? Wonder what's going on there. Always something. Always something. Um, probably nothing we can do about it, right? I mean, we can use your video seems seems fine. So yeah, video's fine. That's that's yeah, interesting because usually the, the video is the first to kind of show <laughs> signs. And it's the fast internet too, so that's weird. Wonder if it's a streamyard issue, like leave and come back. No, I don't think he. Right. I don't think it's too close. No. Um, no. But you know what? You're you're recording your own um, audio now, anyway. Right? I am. Okay, excellent. Yep. So then we don't have to worry about it. I'll just do it that way. So everybody okay. else is recording as well, correct? Yep. Okay. Good. All right. Excellent. Anything else to say about the uh, about that first one? That first news item. Well, then there was the update that they actually are coming back and using. Oh, them. of course. Yes, we have an update. Apparently, uh, while it remains inappropriate <laughs> to comment on the ongoing. <laughs> Investigate. Well, I just read that. Just go back. Go. Uh, what do you call it? Um, yeah. Fast, rewind. fast, fast rewind. rewind or whatever, and go back and 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 listen to what I said at the very beginning of this news item. That's the update. There you go. Yeah. Professional. Oh, by the way, uh, red arrows love. Oh, now he's frozen. Oh, so then they were airborne again. All right. So they were taking part in all the fly pass uh, <laughs> over uh, uh, London. Uh, 
They didn't care. Huh. All right. You're breaking up a little bit too now, Nick. <laughs> oh. This yeah. isn't going well. Yeah. It's a typical well, April just, 1st uh, kind yeah, of a show. I think it's a StreamYard uh, April Fool's joke on us. Yeah, maybe a StreamYard. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, uh, Pip in the chat room has added that the Royal Navy is mostly helicopter base, hence the infrequent ejections by their... Yeah, uh, yes. Ejections don't really, ah. really work well on a helicopter. <laughs> no, that wouldn't go very so, well. So that explains the high number of uh, helicopter uh, mishaps. Uh, <laughs> makes sense. And if you're interested in learning about the, what, why they call the Navy the Royal Navy, but the Army is not called the Royal Army, um, listen to the latest episode of the Plane Safety Podcast, where Pilot Pip and Captain Al discuss this. As yeah, a, if you can stay awake until you get to that bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Okay, All right. Moving on. Um, going on to this next one here, news. NTSB calls for more safety oversight of air tour operators. Federal safety officials are making another push for stricter oversight of air tour operators and hot air balloon rides after several deadly crashes in recent years. The NTSB on Tuesday asked the Federal Aviation Administration to raise safety requirements for the passenger carrying operations, which will, which fall under less restrictive regulations than airlines do for things such as pilot training and maintenance. When people step on board an aircraft as paying passengers, they have the right to trust that the flight will be operated as safety, safely as possible. Uh, NTSB Chairman Robert Sumalt said at the end of the board hearing on the matter. Also, the NTSB chairman said this not that long ago that's what NODAMs are they're just a bunch of garbage that nobody pays any attention to and that is actually uh, that's actually him that's not an april fool's joke yeah that was uh, something he said during the uh, discussion of the investigation of the uh, air canada uh, airbus that almost landed on a taxiway back in uh, i don't know last year sometime san francisco or maybe it was a couple of years ago but it's interesting he says that because I tell you, the two times that I've been ramp-checked stateside, the mm -hmm. first thing the inspector went for was the NOTAMs and make sure that, that we checked them. And ever oh, since huh. then, um, you know, yeah, you, I, I always make sure that I mark them because otherwise, how can he tell whether we checked them or not? So, yeah, that's true. I was like, yeah, I promise we checked them. But, uh, well, yeah, there's marks on them. So well, I, I, I normally don't bother with it, Rick, because... That's what NOTAMs are. They're just a bunch of garbage. So... Well, you're a better man than me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, that story is really not that interesting. So, um, yeah, NTSB is concerned. Uh, I guess these tour operators are kind of getting away with using a part of the uh, regulations that is not very restrictive. And they think that it needs to be tightened up a little bit because, you know, they're carrying passengers yeah, out there, too. There's there's some of these operations that get uh, operated under Part 91 rules. so. Um, certainly in terms of oversight, things are not nearly as, there's not as much scrutiny that goes into and not as much in terms of, um, I don't know, paperwork and checkboxes that have to be ticked and things like that. So, uh, that's what they're kind of looking into here at this point. Okay. Very good. Now this next one is a strange one. Um, this is, uh, from Ripley's aviation news.com, uh, planes leaving runways and crashing is becoming a big problem for some airports. Even planes taxiing around and smashing, smashing into each other is a danger, which costs airports, uh, millions of dollars every year. Atlanta international airport is trialing a new guidance system for their planes that should stop all this nonsense. It's called track safe. 
Despite being paid millions of dollars, pilots still can't be trusted to stay on the runway during landing. And then they often bump into each other while getting you to the gate. That's true, actually. This mad state of affairs prompted TrackSafe, a subsidiary of Pan Am Railways, to develop a system of keeping aircraft on the straight and narrow. On landing, their revolutionary guidance rails will gather the wheels of errant planes and safely move them back to the middle of the runway. An enormous relief to the traveling public. Once at a suitable turnoff, points on the rail system will turn to allow the plane to safely exit and route towards their parking position, known as a gate. Atlanta head of public communications said that they have to deal with many pilots who get lost at the airport. (laughs) They are forever making turns they're not supposed to and getting stuck looking for Dixie, he said. It's even worse now that Dixie no longer exists. The system will automatically guide their wheels and prevent them from losing their way. It will eventually take them right to their parking spot. The system, controlled by controllers in the control tower, will also guide planes out to the runway for takeoff and stop them from trying to take off from the wrong runway, which the public communications department said was also a big problem. As they approach the runway, automatic buffers will move into position to stop them going onto the runway before they're allowed. Another thing that pilots like to do, said the pubcom head. Who is this guy? I'd like to talk to him. Um, <laughs> no, you should know. He works at the <laughs> airport. Uh, uh, yeah, well, I don't know everybody at the airport. The track safe system was put through its paces at the airport near Palm Springs, and while fitted, not one plane left the runway. A resounding success, said track safe. After TrackSafe Phase 1 has been actioned, Atlanta is expecting to move to Phase 2, which allows flatbed rail cars to travel on the rail system to carry planes out to the runway without using their gas-guzzling fuel. And TrackSafe, then you could say, is going green. Here we go. That's not it. (laughs) Oh, shoot. We're going green. We're going green. We're going to take care of the earth. We're going green. All right. Uh, Atlanta expects to start fitting TrackSafe in April 2022 to the area around runway number eight. And Ripley's Aviation News will be there to keep track of this amazing technology. All right. Discuss. I love it. I love it. Isn't that well, you know, airplanes land themselves now, so why not uh, implement this? It's uh, it's long overdue, I think. No-brainer, uh, right? Reminds no, me of a couple of things. Very much like, you know, if I go bowling, get the, the bumpers for the lanes so that I can't throw a gutter ball. Yeah, yeah. And actually, as I was, uh, you know, took my car through the automatic car wash this morning, it's got uh-huh. the same kind of like rail track system, so you just drive in and then, I you know, know, it just pushes you just, along right through. Just make taxing pilot-proof. That's uh, yeah. exactly, exactly what we need. Well, it'll be great because now as soon as you uh, land on the runway, you can just forget about anything now. You can just start doing your paperwork and you'll be guided straight to the parking position. So more efficiency too is what you're saying. Well, yeah, it's just that I worry a bit about the controllers. You know what they're like? It's like kids with a train set. They're going to be, you know, (laughs) sending everyone around in all sorts of directions. And I mean, they'll they'll be just sending airplanes round and round the airport for the hell of it. So... I, yeah, I do worry yeah. about that aspect, and, yeah. and I imagine once they implement this in Chicago, uh, they'll uh, they'll have a uh, a controller put you in the penalty box and uh, just leaving you there. And the problem is, he's probably going to forget about you. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. just so, permanent uh, penalty box. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's mind you, it'll, it'll make the frequencies quieter because you won't actually need a, a radio uh, hmm. taxi, you know, ground frequency because hmm. you, you know you don't need to speak to anyone if you're being guided everywhere. So, so now. Uh, yeah. You'll just uh, everybody will be making uh, meow sounds and like fart sounds and stuff on the radio. <laughs> and guard, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, guard. Yeah. Uh, All right. Well, that you think was. They're gonna cut people's pay as a result of this. Oh, I hmm. might be an unintended side effect. This is just well, uh, no, I'm sure. I'm sure the unions are gonna get into that. So uh, I, I don't imagine uh, that uh, that's gonna be an issue. So no, you're going to have to start dealing with the unions that uh, for for the manufacturers of these uh, of these uh, devices. Well, so, I was uh, going to say, what's the railway workers union called oh. over there? Because uh, you, you might go. have to join two unions. You might have to join the airline pilots and the railway workers union. Railway right. labor board? No, so national. The Rail- the Ralpa. Ralpa. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, it'd be interesting to see what I learned to think of it. Uh, let yeah. us know how you get on. Yeah. To it. Yeah. We have a lot more fake news to get to, so let's continue. <laughs> um, news, and and you know what? Some of these are actually real, are, are, are real news stories, and it's really sometimes hard to tell which which ones are real and which ones aren't. It just okay, speaks to one. the absurdity of the world. <laughs> yes, days, exactly. That's right. United flight attendants complain serving snacks on board is causing a toxic environment. Flight attendants at United Airlines said the carrier's decision to resume buy on board snack and alcohol service on certain domestic flights is causing a toxic environment and they are struggling with mask enforcement. The situation has been made worse worse by glitchy sales software. I love the use of that word now. It's just anything that goes wrong is is a glitch. Glitchy sales software and inebriated passengers, according to the Association of Flight Attendants. United dramatically scaled back in-flight service as part of its initial response to the pandemic, but brought back its buy-on-board service on certain flights over 800 miles uh, last November in an attempt to address customer complaints over the lack of food and drink offered on many of its longer domestic services. Uh, The in-flight bistro was initially limited to flights from Denver to Boston, Chicago, O'Hare, and a bunch of others here that I'm not going to read. The Association of Flight Attendants says, however, that the rollout of buy-on-board snacks has been beset with problems and that management needs to start taking their complaints seriously. And then there's some quotes by some pissed-off flight attendants and other information. And then, of course, there's a, a rebuttal by... Uh, somebody in management over there, uh, Mandeep Gruel, United's Vice President of Customer Strategy and Innovation, told flight flight attendants at the time that their concerns were definitely warranted, but that by providing additional food and beverage choices, we can better control how long customers are without their face covers and have better control of what comes on board, allowing for safer handling and trash. And additionally, we don't have to be on the airplanes and be exposed to all those germs because we fly on private jets. No, they didn't say that. Actually, that was not a quote. I added that at the end. Uh, but that's true. Probably. More fake news, huh? It's well, true. a little bit. Oh, yeah. That's true. Anyway, um, on Tuesday, it was revealed that Delta Airlines plans to bring back buy on board snack options on domestic flights starting April 14. The Atlanta-based airline intends to serve a variety of alcoholic and non-alcoholic drinks, as well as sweet and savory snacks and coffee and tea. Good. I'm all for it. Bring back snacks and beverages. Yeah. Bring back airplane food. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. Yeah. 
Uh, and yes, Liz, uh, you did hear correctly that um, uh, Delta is bringing or getting rid of the blocked middle row seats uh, May 1st. So, all right. Um, I'm having my Acme snacks right now, my Acme pretzels. Are you? How are they? Well, you hold them like that, it looks like I've got a pair of glasses on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, very nice. <laughs> no, they're not bad. Actually, a bit crunchy. Oh, nice. mute. Well, thank you for that update. Um, <laughs> getting on with the news here, Southwest Pilot on Hot Mike goes on expletive-laden um, rant against the Bay Area. Hang on, I got to get You know, it. I bet he calls it San Fran. Oh, yeah, no. Doesn't he? That's probably the worst thing he could do, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see here. Okay. Got to get ready for this one. <laughs> the pilot who delivered the anti-Bay Area rant has been confirmed to be an employee of Southwest Airlines. The airline confirmed exclusively to SF Gate. A spokesman for the company did not identify the pilot, but said that they are quote, fully addressing the situation internally. In other words, is probably a, out the out the door. Nah, probably, I doubt it. The union will nah, defend him. Nah, union's got it. Um, yeah. Anyway, our, our corporate culture is built on a tenet of re- treating others with concern and dignity, and the comments are inconsistent with the professional behavior and overall respect that we require from our employees, the spokesman said in a statement. This situation was an isolated incident, involving a single employee and not a representative of the nearly 60,000 hardworking, respectful people of Southwest Airlines. Uh, so let me, uh, so I, I did actually get the live ATC audio, except it's, it's not good at all. It's very, very difficult to hear exactly what he's saying. So I'm not even going to play that. So I'm going to reenact the, uh, mm. the expletive laden, rant this should should be good okay so here we go uh the pilot says this place liberal he then continues making several other curse laden comments uh let's see i'm gonna try that again f weirdos probably driving around in hyundai's roads and that goes slow as so you don't have balls unless you're rolling coal man it <laughs> how to do <laughs> tell us how you really feel about san francisco in the Bay area and wait a minute oh, why man. is he saying hyundai's isn't he talking is he talking about teslas is he getting confused i don't, I don't know it sounds like he doesn't know what he's talking about yeah well probably, well, probably they spend yeah, all their money on real estate in the san francisco <laughs> area so they can't afford to buy it to you know well, this yeah, guy's he's, he's going for the uh for the what was it called the the hybrids i think it is the cars yeah yeah oh, like okay. the priuses yeah. Uh, that's yeah, pretty soon. Oh, that's a, I don't know. I just, I think he picked the wrong car manufacturer uh, there in his, in his. Yeah, he was angry. Lighting. He didn't care. He was just grasping at whatever came I, to mind. Yeah, I don't truth. think that was the least <laughs> of his sins. <laughs> Stream of consciousness. Uh, at least he didn't call him Sam Fran. That is true. That's what I you got to give him credit for that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so that was fun. And, and that was real news. Um, next item here. Um, this is sad. Three Russian bomber pilots killed by ejection system glitch. There's a glitch again. Uh, three members of a Russian bomber's crew aircrew died Tuesday when their ejection seats accidentally activated during pre-flight checks. The military said the Russian defense ministry said the incident happened at the air base in the Kaluga region, about 145 kilometers 
90 miles southwest of Moscow. Said the crew of a Tu-22M3 long-range bomber. What what do we call it? Uh, what does NATO call that? Um, uh, it's a backfire. Backfire. Okay. Long-range bomber was preparing for a training mission when its ejection system malfunctioned and accidentally shot the crew out. The ministry said the altitude wasn't enough for the parachutes to open, and three of the four crew members died of injuries. I think they were on the ground still, weren't they? When they accidentally yeah, but fired? most zero zero seats. I mean, uh, are these zero yeah. zero seats though? No, I don't. They can't be. Oh. If uh, they they all died, um, yeah. I'm, I'm just saying that by now you'd think that they would have zero zero seats in yeah. all military yeah, airplanes. The, the technology exists, so. right? Yeah, well, it existed around the eighties, if not earlier. So mm-hmm. you know, uh, I can't believe that this system um, doesn't allow for uh, a ground level zero speed ejection. Yeah, me too. It's a cool looking airplane, though. I ha- you had to say. I mean, yeah, the, it it it's a uh, Mac two now capable. It used hmm. to be subsonic. Then it got to Mac one point six. They changed it from uh, oh. fixed wing to uh, swept wing. Sorry, um, variable geometry wing. Uh, and um, they've continued to up upgrade it. it. It's been around for a long time, forty mm-hmm. uh, something years, and it's wow. Uh, and they're still building and selling them. They sold the Chinese some. Mm. Um, yeah, it's I think pretty, this is this is I think the uh, the predecessor to the TU one hundred and sixty, right? The the, the the blackjack, I think it is. But mm-hmm. it's all it's a knockoff of a B one. But uh, yeah. Hey Nick, a quick question from the chat room. Someone wants to know what are zero zero seats? Uh, okay, um, in the old days, your eject you had to be traveling forward at ninety knots, and you had to be um, initially around 200 feet above the ground, but then you could be just doing 90 knots at, at ground level. So they were called 090 seats. So uh, the two numbers reflect the height you need to be above the ground and the speed you need to be doing to survive an ejection or for the eject seat to function correctly. When mm-hmm. they pitted rockets, they became 00, so you could be sitting on the tarmac uh, and just pull the eject seat handle and you will bang out with zero forward speed and a zero altitude, zero height. Quite a ride. Yeah, oh, yeah. exactly right. Because you appreciate that with forward speed, um, the parachute will inflate a lot quicker. When they went to zero, zero seats, they had to get the seat up higher so that the parachute still had a chance of inflating. Mind you, it still inflates pretty damn late. Uh, you get one swing, uh, really, before you hit the ground. Yeah, and that's not a lot. No. Better than nothing, though. Yeah, works. Yeah. All right. Usually. So, uh, Liz, are you ready for the next uh, news item? I'm ready. All right. Uh, let's see. Airliner to fly with turning wheels. Huh? Okay, this is from... <laughs> what? B- I mean, I thought all wheels turned. Um, BehindTheAirbus.com yeah, is where this article is from. Landing an airliner... Is the most likely time to have an accident, and the hardest landing a pilot has to perform is when the wind is blowing across the runway, called a side wind touchdown. Apparently, if the pilot points his airplane straight at the runway, the side wind blows him away from where he wants to go. Because of this, he directs his airplane towards the wind to compensate. It's named after something many of us in the States know how to do, crabbing. Is that really what you all know how to do? Crabbing. Ready? Okay. There we go. <laughs> yeah. 
crabbing in pilot jargon means flying side. We weren't at the rehearsal, were you? Yeah. Uh, crabbing in pilot jargon means flying sideways the way a crab scuttles across the sand so that the airplane points one way while traveling in a different direction, just like a crab. If you're finding this a little hard to understand, then we're not surprised. Understanding what pilots mean when they talk is hard. <laughs> uh, while they can fly sideways up to the landing strip, pilots can't land like that. They need to be pointing straight. At least until now, straightening their airplanes is called straightening. <laughs> or, <laughs> or as they might say, kicking drift. And is a complex maneuver that some fail to adequately master, which accounts for many aviation accidents. Airbus, the company that has made flying easy, believes it has the answer and is modifying one of its aircraft to show off the new concept. It's been named the Carefree Steering Errorless Rollout and called Caster in English, but referred to as Roulette by the French test pilots. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit of a gamble. <laughs> it, is, it is the very latest in Airbus technology. In the future, Airbus pilots won't have to worry about kicking drift, and they will land like a crab or a le crab, <laughs> le crab, <laughs> sideways. Very good, Jim. Thank you. Um, this is because the wheels of the oh, 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 le crab. <laughs> <laughs> this is because the wheels of the airplane won't mind what direction the airplane is going in as they can freely turn and on landing, they will automatically swivel to the direction the airplane's going. The wheels will, will roulette or caster. If you're not sure what we mean, think of the wheels under your office chair or on your shopping cart, which naturally turn in the direction you're moving. This simple change in the design of Airbus landing gear will stop the need for pilots to straighten their aircraft for landing and take away the risk of old-fashioned crosswind landings. Boeing, not to be outdone, has already started to develop their own version of this novel design feature and are altering the landing legs of a test airplane to show off their wheel orientation Boeing bogey landing equipment, also called Wobble. However, we understand that they have already encountered a common problem associated with this type of wheel, caster flutter. <laughs> Don't you hate that when you're in your shopping cart and it's like, one of the wheels is like, take it. <laughs> can, I, can you imagine that happening on an airplane? That's eh, not good. Oh, man. A little bit of a bumpy yeah. ride on touchdown, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Good excuse. Yeah. Well, the, the rails will take this uh, problem away. Exactly. Oh, yeah, you combine the two that. things yeah. and it'll be perfect. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Perfect. Outstanding. Right. Well, to find out more about these two competing technologies and watch them develop, stay tuned to BehindTheAirbus.com. Excellent. Cool. Good news source. Fantastic. <laughs> Glad love we found it. that yeah, one. Love it. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. And then finally, uh, in the news, uh, update flight safety investigation report for the Kamloops Snowbirds accident. Um, let's see, on March 29, 2021, uh, from Ottawa, the Royal Canadian Air Force's Directorate, Directorate of Flight Safety as the Airworthiness Investigate, in Investigative Authority, wow, for the Canadian Armed Ooh. Forces, has concluded its investigation into an accident involving a C-2-114 Tutor aircraft of 431 Air Demonstration Squadron on May 17, 2020, in the vicinity of Kamloops, British Columbia, that claimed the life of Captain Jen Casey and injured Captain Richard McDougall. 
The complete findings of the investigation and recommended preventative measures are publicly accessible in the CT-114161 Flight Safety Investigation Report. The investigation found that ingestion of a single little small bird into the engine of the aircraft Snowbird 11 following takeoff resulted in a compressor stall and loss of thrust. Upon loss of power, the pilot initiated a climb straight ahead and then a turn back towards the airport. During this maneuver, the aircraft entered into an aerodynamic stall and the pilot gave the order to abandon the aircraft. The pilot and passenger ejected from the aircraft at low altitude in conditions that were outside safe ejection seat operation parameters. So apparently this is not a zero-zero seat either. Uh, neither the pilot nor the passenger had the requisite time for their parachutes to function as designed. Recommendations in the report identify the need to conduct additional training for CT-114 aircrew to better prepare them for an engine failure after takeoff in a low-level environment, clarify the command to eject, publish a directive to clarify how aircrew should prioritize an ejection scenario near or over a populated area, and research potential options to stabilize the ejection seat from any tendency to pitch, roll, or yaw. Um, yeah, so what do you think about this one? Uh, yeah, uh, late ejection. It's always the dreadful um, time when you uh, lost your engine shortly after takeoff because um, certainly in the Hawks we had the same sort of uh, question mark. Do you have enough energy to do a dumbbell and get back to the runway you've just taken off from? So we're not talking about doing a circuit. We're just talking about um, doing a quick uh, turn away, reverse, come back, point at the runway and try and get it on the ground. Uh, and if you don't have the right amount of energy, uh, so uh, in the Hawks we used to have a specific height and speed, and if you were below that height and speed there was no question, you just ejected. Uh, it doesn't sound like they had the same uh, rigorous parameters um, dealing with this aeroplane, and in particular an aircraft that doesn't have a really good um, ejector seat you have got to take all sorts of factors into account. Your forward speed, your rate of descent, uh, any angle of bank you've got on, and, of course, the time it takes to get two of you out without a command eject system. Command eject is incredibly quick. and It's obviously what happened on that Russian aircraft. It's got a command eject system, which is why uh, all four of the crew ejected when probably only one seat malfunctioned. Um, mm -hmm. So... I suspect that uh, this aircraft doesn't have command check, which means you've got to tell the other guy to get out, uh, wait for him to go, and then go yourself, or you just eject and assume that he will take the hint Good and luck. follow you as quickly, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> follow you as quickly as they can. Which, in a lot of circumstances, this is the preferred option. People might say, "Oh no, no, you've got to get your passenger out first. No, um, it's quicker." to uh, just pull the handle and go, and then assume he will follow you in very short order. Excellent. All right. Uh, again, the uh, links to the actual report uh, will be in the show notes if you're interested in reading it. And that is going to do it for today's news segment. That was quick. And now it's time for the segment that I really love called Getting to Know Us. Try this again. Getting to like us, 
getting to hope you like us too. I know there's extra words in there, but you know, you gotta take what you can get. Um, <laughs> we certainly do. Yes. <laughs> Especially us. Um, all right. Um, who would like to begin our getting to know us segment? <laughs> Don't all stop wow. at once. Very <laughs> a lot of at the same time. Wow. I'll, uh, <laughs> I think I, I was just like, hoping I feel someone like when, was going to volunteer. Like, yeah, happy. I feel like uh, when nobody volunteered, we should give an order of seniority. <laughs> I was just going to ask how the uh, how the underpass well, was uh, there, Rick. But uh, never mind. We'll oh, wait for man. that. So, yeah, yeah. So I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll fill you guys in on that. Okay. So I guess seniority means that uh, am I the most senior one? Then I guess. Or yep. you could go in order of least seniority. First. Oh yeah, juniority. Okay, mm. Nick, you're 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 <laughs> definitely not the. Uh, but I'm the oldest, most junior in age. But you are in uh, in APG crew host. Um, I certainly am. Yeah, service. Well, I've only got two hundred and sixty-six shows behind me. Wow, um, really? Holy crap! Yeah, it's not very many, is it? No, that's huge. Uh, okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting on a new seat. That's uh, I, I got so many complaints from one particular listener uh-huh. that uh, there was a squeak uh, on the show. Oh, was that your? Was that your chair? Well, apparently it turned out to be my chair. Oh, okay. I didn't it know was that. his chair. Ah. So I've had to go and buy a new office chair. Oh my! Which does that mean that uh, the, the coffee staff- fund has to reimburse you for that then, I guess, right? Uh, sadly not. This coffee bund has been very generous lately, so I shall probably use coffee bund funds. <laughs> but, um, uh, and the, uh, the <laughs> oh, yes, I have. It, it looks very nice too. Um, He's referring uh, yeah, to a I comment it, in the, I, uh, in the live audience uh, chat room. Uh, if you're wondering, if you're just listening. Okay, go ahead. Uh, it, basically, <laughs> Laura it said that. this afternoon at about. Nick got a uh, Laura in the chat room says that Nick got a butt lift. There we go. Well, actually, I didn't. All I did was get one that drops down like that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I'm sorry. Anyway, yes, I I got it very late. Uh, It must have been actually must have been uh, around half five, and I had uh, to assemble it in very short time. I'm now an expert office chair assembler. How many Stay parts tuned did you have left the show over? When the chair falls apart, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Do you have any pieces exactly. left over? Uh, yes. Uh oh. It's never a good I've sign. Got, <laughs> got two screws left over. Oh. A few loose screws. Oh. Uh, just sitting well, there in the packet. As I like to say, two screws are better than none. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's what she said. Um, uh, so they, that's that's today done. Um, the most important thing about today is not that it's April Fool's Day, uh, is that it is the 100th birthday of the Royal Australian Air Force. So uh, oh. congratulations, uh, RAAF, uh, and uh, I hope those of you who listen to us from the fine uh, country down under uh, got a chance to see some of the uh, air displays, the fly pasts, uh, the parades and things that were happening today. Uh, Even in London, they had um, a parade for the Royal Australian Air Force, and that's what the Reds, the Red Arrows, were doing today. They were doing a fly pass for that, uh, as well as, of course, celebrating the Royal Air Force's uh, birthday. Uh, We are 103 in the Royal Air Force, um, and uh, 
that it also happens to be the Royal Canadian Air Force's birthday and the Royal New Zealand Air Force's birthday. They were all formed on the 1st of April. Well, I think that deserves a round of applause for all of those great Air Forces. (laughs) Uh, We'll even throw some noisemakers in there. Congratulations. There you go. All right. Absolutely. So that that's been uh that's been good. Um uh something to uh to look forward to and hence the background uh, in my video. Uh I don't think there's much else been going on over here other than I've been rather busy uh doing uh, stuff for the show and that's kept me going. So. Yeah, uh, you've been doing some um uh, some writing and news articles. <laughs> Creative writing. <laughs> yeah. I was I was actually going to ask sports. after that second one who the journalist was because there were some that guy. some questions I had about the terminology that was right. used. Well, anyway. well, is it like the journalists? You know, typical aviation journalists I know, I using know. this. Side. Very... Yeah, we had a discussion yeah. about that. Actually, I'm thinking, why are we not saying crosswind? He goes, yeah, because it's a stupid journalist. That's why. Oh. Yeah, that's right. That's what stupid journalists (laughs) would say. No, I I got it. I got it. I was just wondering if the journalists had a name so I could write. Uh, Yeah, Ripley. Mm, Ripley, that's right. Yes. Fair enough. From Ripley's... We don't believe it. Journalism. Believe it or not. (laughs) Yes, believe it or not. Yeah, let's just say we don't believe it. All right. Oh, that's a shame because it's all true. Honest. Honest engine. Uh, What else has happened this week? We had a, a heat wave. Mm-hmm. Uh, which disappeared unsadly very quickly. <laughs> so, we're back to normal temperatures again now, which is such a shame. I did manage to get my uh, the Scarlet Lady, though, uh, my little red car, up to London and back there. But uh, as restrictions are being eased, I gather they're being imposed in Canada. Uh, they're actually being eased here in the United Kingdom now. Mm-hmm. Um, the amount of traffic was just unbelievable. So I don't want to go and do that again. But don't you like uh, spending time in that sweet little car of yours? I do, but eventually, you know, it just becomes really hard work when you're like doing five miles an hour through the streets of London trying to find your way. It's fun to spend a lot of time in it when you can, you know, drive it at its intended fun speed. Exactly. With the roof down, Mm -hmm. it was quite cold. You couldn't put the roof down. And And it's a manual shift, so you've got the clutch. Yeah. Yeah, that's not. No, fun. I've got flappy paddles. No, he's got the. Oh, he's got the, the the little okay yeah. paddles on the side. Okay. Yeah. Well, you get an extra Fake gear shifters. when you have flappy paddle. Oh. I have six six gears. I think I've got seven. Oh. Yeah. Fancy. No, 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 no. Neener, neener. Brilliant. Right. So that's it for me. I'm afraid. Okay. Well, great. Um, Oh, well, hang on a minute. I'm yeah. just going to check. I did write something down. Okay, right. Nope, nope, that's fine. Nope, that's it. No, no, right. You can carry on. Okay, we're carrying on then. Um, Dr. Steph, you're next because uh, I think Rick is having an issue with his with his uh, microphone, so he's had to restart mm-hmm. everything. That might be why we were getting that weird sound from his audio mm-hmm. of that. Yeah, um, yeah, so we'll start out. I've got um, some, some serious uh, news to convey today. I have, um, after much deliberation and consideration, decided that I'm going to quit medicine and flying and probably podcasting too and become a professional singer. Oh, so, that's awesome. Uh, oh, wow. Congratulations. Yeah, uh, not many of you know. Um, in fact, that's nobody brilliant. nobody oh. knows uh, that stuff's a good well, singer. I've, that's why I've, um, you know. <laughs> Not volunteered any singing over the past however many years because I just was saving it for this time when I was going to oh. uh, make my debut 
Okay. So uh, can you but give us a not, little sample of, uh, of this talent that you've been hiding? Um, no, I'm afraid not. You're going to have to buy the album because I want, would like to make money really? off of this. Okay. It's my retirement plan. I'm a little disappointed that you can't <laughs> sing for us a little bit. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Secret for just a little bit longer. Okay. Um, no, but anyway, uh, it's been a, I don't know, um, normal week, more or less. I did a little bit of flying last weekend. The weather was still not great. Um, we, I actually flew at the drop zone where Armando from Plain Talking UK usually flies. Uh, so they have a 182 drop zone, one, Cessna 182 drop zone up there. Um, ceilings were not good enough to, um, have tandem students go. So we just did a couple of low passes, hop and pops for the fun jumpers that were there. And then it started raining. So that was about that for the day. Um, and yeah, just, and of course, you know, Terrible weather Saturday, terrible weather Sunday. Monday was like 70 and sunny and no wind. and um, That would have been great for flying, but not the day of the week that I do any flying. So enjoyed that, but um, hopefully it'll be nice this weekend. Going to get to see some friends this weekend. Um, and celebrate a birthday or two. No. And um, yeah, that's about it. Okay. Very, and very I will good. keep you advised as to when that album is going to be released. Okay, we'll do that. Um, <laughs> Miami, Rick, uh, you, you had to leave for a, a few moments with a um, system malfunction, but uh, we just need to let you know that Steph has just announced that she is quitting her job as a doctor and pilot and everything else that she does, and she's going to become a professional singer. Mm-hmm. I love it. She's got the, uh, the voice, the timbre. Mm-hmm. And the drive. Timber. So uh, I think yeah, it's a, uh, to people listening to me. It's, a, it's a great career move. And let me be the first one to congratulate you. And I'll be the first one to, uh, you know, download your uh, songs on uh, iTunes and uh, fly to them. It's going to be great. Awesome. Yes. Is uh, Liz going to produce your songs? Well, we've, we're working on the, uh, the details of that, but yeah, I think that's going to be the case. I'm stealing her from APG to be a Ooh. full-time yeah. employee oh, for gosh. me. Oh, mm-hmm. what? 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 Sorry, what? Jeff. What? Okay, well, I got some news for you guys you know, when it's my Uh-oh. turn. Oh, right. Okay. Very um, nice. So let's go with Rick first, though, while we have him before he leaves again. Um, so anyway, yeah, yeah. update us on the, uh, on the uh, conditions there in the underpass uh, in uh, Rockford. Oh, it's great. Uh, flew in from, uh, from uh, one underpass to another, from uh, Stockton out here to uh, Rockford, and... Uh, Get in this morning at about uh, nine thirty, so it was a nice, quiet flight. Uh, took off at uh, three forty-five in the morning. My favorite time of the day to fly because there's nobody around, um, no radio calls. We're uh, going through uh, ten thousand feet as soon as we got uh, switched over from uh, NorCal departure to the first uh, center. Uh, cleared us direct to destination, which is great. So uh, yeah, just just my kind of flying. I like that. Easy, easy. Um, and then. Uh, hmm? Easy peasy. Oh yeah, exactly, exactly. So go here, and uh, you know they uh, put us at uh, put us up at this very, very nicely appointed underpass here in Rockford. Uh, no, it is pretty bed. nice actually. If you're That's watching the video, the show. so uh, they do a, a really good job of taking care of everybody there in Rockford. Yeah, yeah, yeah not too bad at all. Uh, other than that, uh, after we recorded last week in uh, Dallas, I went through Tampa. Uh, Came back here through uh, Rockford and then uh, on to Ontario. Spent uh, a day there and then uh, back up through uh, Wilmington, um, Ohio, which 
was oh that was that was a doozy uh going into wilmington um so apparently so it was it was so windy going in there that apparently the ground crew that was unloading the airplane had a wager going uh on whether we'd actually land or uh divert to cincinnati uh, because of the wind and it was uh it was rocking it went up to 40 and that's that's the limit well not really a limit but that's that's the uh maximum demonstrated on the 767 so um uh, if only you'd had seven, Boeing wobble wheels. Yeah, I know that would have been no that would have made it uh, that would that would bump it up to at least seventy five knots. Uh, oh, the uh, yeah, demonstrated absolutely. crosswind, you know, because you could literally fly sideways, going around. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So uh, no, but it was good. You know, nice, nice, stable approach. And the the the, the trick with that is just you know, but not really a trick because just the way I do it is just disconnect everything early enough. Uh, to get a you know good idea what the airplane is doing, not both autopilot, not a throttle, and just kind of crab it in all the, uh, crab it all the way in. So uh, worked out, worked out fine. And after that, uh, limit over to Cincy, uh, spent the uh, day in Cincy, and then uh, uh, back over here to uh, the hell am I Rockford? Yeah. <laughs> 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 so when probably stopped and stopped and like, where am I? I don't you know. know. Yeah, well, I mean, you I have to keep know. in mind. I've, I've been awake since 11 p.m. last night, so right. it's been a, it's been a, it's been a long day for me. Well, wow. I, I bit of news here though. We had a we had a, a, a um, they call them crew calls, right? So they basically um, fill the, uh, the the pilot core on what's going on with the company and and, and all that you know, good stuff here at uh, at Giant. And uh, they're looking at uh, acquiring uh, A330 freighters. Oh. Um, yeah. Oh, wow. So, uh, so there's, <laughs> there's, a, uh, there's, a, there's a good possibility that yours truly here might have to uh, Ooh, go check to the it dark out. side. I'm going to fight it like, mm. I'm gonna fight it like hell. <laughs> but You're not uh, going to be the first on, one to. It'll look good on I your I feel license. like I've had a conversation with Rick about the A330 freighters in the past, so... I don't know that he's going to yeah. share his feelings on it at the moment, but yeah. Yeah, I don't My know. It, 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 would, it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be family, family friendly. Mm-hmm. So uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll see what comes of that. We'll see what comes of that. I'll okay. keep you all posted. But, uh, well, good luck with the course, because you know, of course, Airbus have spies, and if they, they listen to everything Boeing pilots say, <laughs> and uh, the, the nastier they are about Airbus products, the harder the course is. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Well then, uh, uh, I see myself uh, doing the checker a couple times then. <laughs> Might be. Okay, is it my turn now? Yes, your yes, turn. yes. It's your show. Well, Whatever you want, go okay. ahead. Um, <laughs> yes, it's your turn. So let's see. Last, I haven't done any flying since then because I've been on vacation. I think. What did we do it last Thursday? I did something though. Yep, you were okay what it was. on vacation, that's for uh, sure. Did uh, Palm Sunday, got to sing on Palm Sunday at my church. And then this is Holy Week, and uh, today is actually Holy Thursday or Monday Thursday, some um, Christian churches call it. And uh, I'm going to sing tonight, and then tomorrow for Good Friday, and then Saturday for Holy Saturday or the Easter Vigil Mass, and then on Sunday. So I get to do all kinds of singing here um, in the next few days. So very excited about that. And, uh, oh, got some, got some, you know, we get feedback, you know, the mailbag or whatever, you know, the virtual digital stuff, but we also get real, uh, real, 
uh, mail and stuff in, in the mail. And so uh, let me uh, just grab this over here, if you don't mind. Excuse me while I whip this out. And got this box. It says uh, Zoo Lily on it. And I'm going to pretend to open it up. Unboxing. Unboxing. There we go. And what do we got here? This, by the way, is from our producer, director, Liz, sent this to the crew. And each of us gets a plain ice mold. See? It's, it's real. I'm showing it to you to the camera. Beautiful. And uh, it's made by Tobolo, and it's an ice mold, and it has um, airplanes. Oh, Airbuses. Nice. I don't think that that's an Airbus, but okay, if it, it makes you happy. Airbuses. Yeah, these nice Airbuses. Well, he's old and senile. We've already seen <laughs> If the ice sinks, then it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> if the ice cube sinks, it's an Airbus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Liz. That, that was very, very thoughtful thank you, Liz. of you. That was fun. Appreciate yeah, it. Thank awesome. you very Liz. much, Auntie so Liz. Gotta yes. have some fun. That much more fun. Yes. And deviation. Hey, you know, we got this um we got this um feedback from Bradley, Bradley Link. And uh I want to um I want to go ahead and read this. Uh the subject is Love It. Thank you, Captain Jeff, for your great podcasts. Makes my week to hear all of you each time. Have you ever thought of adding an additional member to your podcasts? Maybe someone with a career in corporate aviation? Just a thought. My career so far expands throughout the corporate slash business aviation. Again, thank you for the insight and entertainment from the crew at APG. Best regards, Bradley Link. So, you know, I started to I started to um, reply to Bradley and let him know that the uh, the way that this show has evolved. When I started out, it was solo, uh, starting in 2009, and then 2015. You know, I'm sure if you've been listening to the show for a while, you already know this. But if you're new, uh, just kind of you know bring you up to speed. In 2015, uh, two of the co-hosts that you see on the screen right now, if you're watching the video, uh, Miami Rick and Steph, Doctor Steph. Uh, were invited to join me on the show. And then the following year, um, I don't know, sometime early 2016, this other old coot over here, uh, Captain Nick, uh, was invited to uh, to join us. But, you know, I never, I never planned any of this stuff. It just kind of evolved organically. And so that was the kind of thing I was going to say to Bradley. And then I started thinking about it a little bit more, and I thought, wait a minute. Maybe it would be a good idea to like revamp this whole thing and and uh, and just offer uh, the co-host position for the like the highest bidder. And so I'm oh. I'm trying to think of some kind of um, some kind of a um, level of, of money uh, to start with. I mean, would it would one thousand dollars? That might not even be enough. Maybe maybe like four or five thousand dollars for like starting the bid if you want to be a co-host. On the show, yeah, I'd want to be paid at least four thousand dollars to be a co-host. No, no, no. I, uh, you pay me, so you don't understand. What? Yeah. So I'm not paying. Oh wow. Well, and so glad I uh, want my money on scratch offs. But you want us to pay you? By the way, well, see, yeah, because I'm basically going to going to start from scratch. So basically, just kick all of you off, 
and then just open it up and then, you know, try to try to get another three people to join me, maybe four, you know, because I actually could make some serious, uh, serious coin on this whole Rick, deal. Rick, you're the union rep, right? <laughs> what do you have to say? Well, well yeah, yeah. The co-host uh, rep? I, I, yeah, I'd have to. Uh, uh, yeah, I'd have to check the bylaws here, and um, at, uh, I don't know. I'd have to go. You know, Jeff get hasn't counted on the fact that I have very deep pockets, so he can't get rid of me. Oh, well, that's <laughs> good. I like that. I mean, how, I've got how that deep are those pockets? Out. <laughs> it's gonna make. That's not a good way to negotiate stuff. <laughs> no, just no one can outbid me. That's all I'm saying. So don't okay. even try. I'm, I'm just scaring well, everyone I'm gonna, else away. I'm gonna put a Kickstarter in to keep me. In Let's go, go fund me. Yeah, go fund me to keep me in my post right now, listeners. If 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 you want the old curmudgeon to hang around a little longer, because I haven't got that much longer to live. So oh, give me a break. He's, he's like oh, firing me. Firing me at the end of my lifespan. We're going for the tear jerkers over here. Yeah, yeah. So I just I only want to stay for another couple of years. Stephen Ivey is yeah. a confused individual, so he's paying for us now. No, we're not paying for you. I don't care about you or the audience. If, unless you want to be a co-host, apparently. You'd be, you'd uh, usually, need, then, uh, then he's got 5,000 reasons to invite you. So uh, I like uh, Tim Drager's comment. He says, maybe some interesting guests from time to time. I guess we're not interesting. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Wow. Very oh, honest. Wow. Oh, ouch. Ouch. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's all right. I can take it. I can yeah. take it. I can take it. How much for Tim to leave? I don't know if I can. <laughs> Golly. Yeah. Good. Liz good. is saying, how much for Tim to leave? How many how much are we going to get <laughs> all right, I'll, for that? I'll, I'll, put, I'll put $10. That's all it's worth. Get rid of Tim. <laughs> Stephen is still confused, but at least he has... Oh, uh, he, uh, I like his form of payment that he accepts, though. I'll yeah, take beer. He, ex- he accepts payment. Yeah, he still hasn't quite grasped what we're talking about here, Steph. You know, I'm not know. paying anybody. Everybody's paying me. See, get it? Uh, I guess uh, the, the easiest way to put this is um, this way, uh, Stephen. Maybe you'll understand. Just send your cash. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. No, of course, I'm just kidding. Um, but I'm not kidding about the part where um, we don't really plan for anything on the show. It's, it's usually pretty obvious, <laughs> sadly. <laughs> but uh, as far as, you know, the way this thing has I evolved into to, the but... co-hosts and everything else and, and producer, director, assistant uh, uh, Liz, um, that only I can hear at this moment. Although, how if you're listening to the, uh, the audio-only podcast – you probably are hearing Liz making comments here and there. Just so you know, I'm the only one right now while we're doing the show live that can hear her. And that's probably for the best. Thank goodness. <laughs> yes. Thanks. Uh, thank Rick, goodness. Is, is Liz in the union? Uh, Liz, Liz has a very high position in all sorts of things. Um, some we know, some we don't. I mean, she likes to oh. keep it that way. Oh, right. so uh, okay. yeah, I just wonder whether she'd be willing to come out on strike with us. Yes. Yes. Well, she's saying yes. Solidarity. No, no, no. She's, she's writing the posters up right now. And she's being, she's exactly. No, wait a minute. She is saying, I don't know what these people are saying. They're they're a bunch of um, <laughs> ne'er do wells, and uh, they 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 That's should have allegiance speak. to you, Jeff. Yeah. And oh, thank you, Liz. I love you too. Okay. 
Actually, she's not yeah, saying any of that. The thing here is, I mean, we're good because the thing here is among aviators, we never, we never walk, walk as a picket line. So, See, uh, Neil I think, has I think it we'll right, right here. I've got all the pictures. Of Neil the dirt says, on Liz has all so. the pictures. <laughs> yeah. She reviews them every night. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, anyway. Okay. That's uh, that's about it. Of course, we were kidding. Thank you, Bradley, for your uh, your uh, int- expression of initiative. interest and initiative. But it, that's just not the way it works. Maybe you know, you never know. Maybe one of these days we'll meet you and think, "Wow, you know, you're God's gift to co-hosts. Uh, let's hire him." Well, hire. I'm, I'm I'm using that word kind of very liberally. You should know, Bradley, <laughs> that we don't get paid. They don't get paid. No. Yeah. No. So don't quit your day job. And <laughs> the quality does labor speak to love. Hang on a minute. I get paid. You do? <laughs> what? Now don't start oh, that. that Mr. Is, Divisive here. Yeah, he's trying to start a fight. And that's not true. <laughs> Just shut up, Nick. What? You get paid, Nick? <laughs> yeah, I got extra for each plane time. <laughs> who'd, you, who'd you say that union rep was I need to talk to? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we should probably move on. Let, let, let me check, let me check the back of my time. badge here. I got another. <laughs> Let's go <laughs> okay, yeah, I think um, the, the control room is saying coffee fund. Please roll coffee fund. Here we go. <laughs> it's getting out of hand. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. I have to sing tenor tonight, so I'm trying to exercise my upper register. Yeah, get it up there. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, um... Coffee Fund, classic. A uh, couple different ways to do the Coffee Fund here. Um, and you what can find out. The, infer- the Coffee Fund is your way, thank you, Liz, your way to contribute to the show financially if you have the resources to do that. And uh, a couple different ways Coffee Fund Classic method and uh, Patreon. And all that information is available at airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee to figure it all out. But basically, bottom line just send your cash. So, Coffee Fund Classic is uh, one way to do it with um, one-time donation or recurring donations. And Alistair Care and Chris Randall, they both do recurring donations via the Coffee Fund Classic method. And Patreon. You can become a patron of the show. And since the last episode, we have... We, we don't have any new, new patrons. Yeah. Oh, well. That's okay. Great group of people over there on Patreon that uh, really help support us a lot. So thank you very much for that. Again, airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. Head over there, learn about it. You'll be glad you did. Just send your cash. All right. Captain, incoming message. Uh, Let's start off with Rick. Not Rick, not Miami Rick. Another Rick. This is Rick uh, K., and in the chat room, who is in the chat room. Awesome. Okay. Greetings, APG crew. Over the last few weeks, I've heard discussions about career advice and steps to take. It has been great advice. You all, you all have been giving. I just want to chime in with my two cents on this. It's only one cent, right? 50% on the subject from my point of view as an airline pilot. Of course, there are all different types of flying you can do corporate charter cargo, uh, flying just for, Oh, corporate charter, cargo, 
flying just for fun, et cetera, et cetera. But my advice pertains to people who want to fly for the airlines. The first thing they should do is go get a class one medical. They don't want to find out later that they have some medical problem that would stop them from achieving their dream. If the doc says they do not qualify for a class one medical, find out why. There may be something that can be done and still get that class one, uh, for example, a waiver, or in other words, a waiver. Over my past 20 years in the 121 world, I have flown with everyone from no college degree through lawyers. Sorry, Dr. Stuff, I do not remember flying with any doctors, at least not yet. Well, there's a reason for that. They all buy bonanzas and crash. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Told you we're going to offend people here. I'm offended. <laughs> sorry. All the bonanza drivers out there. Too. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, oh, yep, sorry. Uh, there's um, the, the, the uh, airplane reaper uh, picture of me with a, what is that called? A Sith? Scythe. 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 Ooh. Scythe. Wow. Scythe. Oh, Sith is Star Wars. Scythe is that thing that the Grim Reaper carries. Ah, gotcha. Yep. Great. You can also cut grass with it if you want. Wow, that seems like it'd be a dangerous thing to do. <laughs> anyway, the airline hiring departments can be very different at times as to what they're looking for. Uh, trying to stay politically correct here, laugh out loud. So I recommend getting a degree if at all possible. That degree should be in a field that they like and able to make money with. Why? As you well know, this industry has ups and downs. Ah, uh, we get it. Is that a pun? Uh, just in the last 20 years, we have seen 9-11, the 08 recession, and now the virus. Just in case they get furloughed, they want something to fall back on that can be used to help pay the bills. Yeah, that's great advice. We we talk about that a lot, that if you're going to get the college degree, get you know, for your plan B, make sure it's something not in the aviation realm and something that you can solidly count on to be a, a backup plan i mean it could be aviation management type stuff as long as you as long as you love it right yeah to that's just true. make sure it's something that you want to use and find interesting. good point good point okay once they do get their dream job this last piece of advice is the most important try to have at least three months of bill paying money saved up hopefully they will never get furloughed or have some medical condition pop up where they are out of work for a while if they do find themselves out of work the money will take some of the stress out of the time without a paycheck coming in if it's a furlough, this is where the degree comes into play. And by the way, here in the U.S., furlough means something entirely different than most other parts of the world, where if you're furloughed here from an airline, you're not getting anything. It's zero. You know, the, the government doesn't pay 80% like of your layoff. salary or whatever. Yeah it's, yeah, it's being laid off, basically. But you get to keep your seniority if you, get, if you come back, if the airline's still there. Anyway, I... I'll, I always try to encourage people to get into our line of work if they're interested in it. I enjoy giving tours of the flight deck. So far in my career, I've been all through North, Central, and South America, Hawaii, the Caribbean, and Europe. I've seen awesome sunsets and sunrises and the northern lights while over the North Atlantic. I've had some great food while visiting all these wonderful places. It sure beats sitting behind a desk Monday through Friday, 8 till 5. Ugh. Now, Rick, I have to say that is probably very insensitive, and I think you've offended a lot of people that listen to our show who are working uh, behind a desk Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, and I hope that you're going to be ready to apologize to each and every one of those people. Just just saying. <laughs> okay. I'm, That's I'm Jeff's sure two he's cents. Willing, 
But having said that, uh, our Rick uh, is a perfect example of um, uh, what can happen when you don't, uh, in our job, because you don't have a nine-to-five job, you end up working incredibly long hours and having to keep your poop in the pile whilst you're incredibly tired. Yeah, that is true. That is true. And it, uh, it uh, takes a little bit of getting used to. Um, and uh, I mean, I've been flying long haul since my early 20s. I've never flown anything but long haul. This is the first time in my career, actually, that uh, the majority of the flights that I'm doing are in the two to three hour range, which is a welcome change. So um, I guess I'm kind of used to it by now. But uh, it is it is uh, it is a bit of a butt kicker, uh, and it, and it uh, it comes along with a lot of um, you know lifestyle type adjustments that you need to make both in your day to day life and your diet and your exercise routine, and uh, and uh, it takes the right uh, attitude at home as well. You need someone who's supportive and someone that uh, is uh, self sufficient and. Uh, all that other good stuff um, to make uh, this uh, career as an airline pilot work. So yep. uh, it's not uh, it's not just the flying part. It's it's what goes uh, along with it, and uh, there's quite a bit. Right, that's a good point, uh, Rick. Don't take that for granted. You know, that's a very important thing. Support from your family. Okay, excellent. Uh, let me take you off a solo there. There we go. Anything else to be said before we move on? All right. Thanks, Rick, for sending in the feedback, and thanks for hanging out with us today. You're welcome. No, not you. The other one. Okay. Um, Bruce, are there any um, co-hosts named Bruce? Okay, good. No confusion. Uh, he says, hi, Captain Good-bye, Jeff. Hi, Bruce. <laughs> Sorry. Jeff, can I just interrupt for a second? Okay, yes, Liz, you may interrupt. You're talking about supportive people at home. Mm-hmm. People might want to listen to Plain Tale that was done on APG 361, where Nick focused on the hardest oh, job in the Air Force. For everyone who's just What's watching happening? us live. We don't, we don't know either. Okay. She's I made, know. So, so very so because, exciting. Well, you know what? We, should, we probably should have popped you in just for a quick. Can you mind if I do that? Can I pop <laughs> you into the stream? Send the actress to the bishop. Yep. Okay. Here we go. Go ahead and say that again. Okay, so I was just thinking there when Rick was talking about having a supportive home life, um, the plain tale that Rick that Nick did in APG 361 called The Hardest Job in the Air Force, where he talks to Jilly and what it takes to be um, a supportive wife and what that role looks like. So if anybody hasn't listened to that, that's a great plain tale to listen to. Very good point. And, and you're right. It was a very good, good point. Goodbye. Yeah. Oh, bye. <laughs> <laughs> all right so thank you um uh, for doing that liz i know you a little bashful and you don't like to be in the video and all that kind of stuff but i think that everybody does love it um all right so now moving on with bruce uh he says um hi captain jeff and crew i know that you often mention other aviation podcasts on your show yeah reluctantly and that many listeners are also looking for advice and guidance to start or further their aviation careers i wanted to direct your attention to the holding short podcast and specifically to episode 16 where my niece christina von bulow is interviewed interviewed uh, description and link below she is a young pilot just starting on her aviation career and has lots of advice for anyone starting out 
Already, her career has taken her around North America as an aerial survey pilot, and now to Northern Ontario as a first officer for a medevac company flying the Metroliner 2. I've also attached a photo of Christina with uh, all-female crew and support team transporting vital COVID-19 vaccine to remote Northern Ontario communities. And if you're watching the video right now, uh, we have that up on the screen. And um, I'm not sure which one is Christina, but uh, she's one of those standing there in front of the uh, Metroliner 2. I I love the uh, logo on the airplane, Skycan. Yeah, me Very too. funny. That's good. And Sky uh, what, care. What but was I think that again? No, Sky care. Sky care. <laughs> oh no! I I, I read can. Sky can. Yeah, well, I think it's care. Sky We're going to get your but, uh... your uh, prescription system here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. And uh, and are they sure that's COVID? It looks like a a case of vodka to me. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, when you're that far north. You know, it's like whatever you can get, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. A sky can for the vodka. That's perfect. Bruce is in the chat room. He says, Christina is fourth from the left. Oh, ah, there we go. Two, fourth three, from the left. four. Oh, she's right so in the middle. Yeah, oh, nice. kind of right in the middle there. Okay. Excellent. Well, uh, so uh, here's a little quick, um, uh, some quick information about the uh, episode um, holding short Christina von Bulow. Christina has had a love for aviation since she was young. Once she was old enough and tall enough, she pursued her private pilot license during high school at the Brampton flying club. She then attended Trent university where she graduated with a BSC. I guess that's a bachelor of science. Okay. Uh, Geography while and oh and geography while attending university, Christina purchased her 1963 Cessna 150 and has enjoyed many fun trips with family and friends for fun building hours. Upon graduating, Christina completed an aerobatic upset training course with Patty Wagstaff, which she attributes oh, ooh, a lot ooh, of excellent. her success to when she pursued her commercial pilot license and subsequent ratings. Uh, Christina was a finalist for the 2019 Webster Memorial Trophy competition representing the central Ontario region. Christina started her career as an aerial survey pilot flying all over North America in a Cessna 172, building hours and gaining valuable PIC experience and pilot decision-making skills. She currently works as a medevac first officer on the Metroliner 2 and 3 based out of Sioux Lookout servicing Sioux Lookout servicing Ontario's North. She looks forward to continuing to get back to the aviation community through outreach and mentorship as she values the mentors who have helped and continue to help her along her aviation career. Christina can be found on Instagram uh, at Christina underscore Vaughn, V-O-N underscore Bulow, B-U-L-O-W. And if you want more information or you want to refer to that again, that'll be in the show notes and also a link to the uh, podcast holding short where she is uh is featured so there you go that is awesome i tell you some of the some of the best pilots i've ever flown with our pilots that uh kind of come through this through this uh uh pipeline of line um uh obviously first um um you know single engine type aircraft uh, getting a lot of hand flying in and then uh move up to um these uh smaller type um turboprop airplanes uh, flying in the you know high teens to mid 20s where the right where the weather is and you know and uh that uh yeah she's gotta be one hell of a dick i'm sure she is and uh i'm really 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 um impressed here so it's great yep 
Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Bruce, uh, in the chat. Oh, by the way, uh, we have somebody from Iraq who has just joined us in the uh, live audience, Muhammad. So uh, from uh, Baghdad. So hello there. Um, oh. All right. A truly international audience we have here at the APG. I love how Nick says, how's Iran? Oh, here we go again. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, it's it's Iraq. Nick, Iraq. Yeah, I was Not joking. Iraq. I know you were. I know you <laughs> sorry, were. <laughs> sorry, Mohammed. I, I, I just wrote to Mohammed saying, how's Iran? <laughs> Having made that mistake last show. That's I, okay. He had some feedback about it, I think. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Well, well, well but, I'll be able to apologize twice then. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be in today's show, though. Probably no, next no, week. Next yeah. week, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I know that the only reason why you come here, Mohammed, is to hear us you know, read your feedback out or play your audio feedback. So if that's what you're here for, then we're not doing it today. So you can leave if you want. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Oh, he won't. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's April uh, Fool's Day. Do you have April Fool's Day uh, where you are, Mohammed? I wonder? I don't know. I think every culture is a little bit different. Yeah. A bunch of fools on this show, basically every show. <laughs> so, yeah, so we're right say, at home. Just like a they, they gave us a, they gave us our own day. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but we it, we, we celebrate official fifty eight. two times a year. So uh, fifty two <laughs> yeah, times a year we okay. do. So well, it's, uh, well, yeah. one out of every fifty two, ah. it can be our special. Oh, okay. okay. Mohammed says yes. We have. Okay, cool. Excellent. So All right. Did anyone play go. any tricks on you today? This is going to be uh, a- my favorite, by the way, while we're on the subject. Um, I, I came home from a flight. It was Hong Kong, landed early, and I was driving up, and I got to the front of the house about 6 a.m., and I thought, oh, it's April the 1st, uh, 6 a.m. at April the 1st. I thought, what can I do to joke my wife? So I called her on my mobile, and I said, ah, oh, darling, we couldn't get into Heathrow. Uh, they've diverted me to Glasgow. And uh, and I've got this thing I've got to do this morning. Uh, and I gave her all these details, and she woke up, getting at this phone call, and she said, "Oh, you poor darling, you've diverted to Glasgow." Uh, oh, and I'm in the middle of telling her about all these things I need her to do for me because I'm not coming home. I'm in Glasgow, and I ring the doorbell, and I'm still telling her what, and she's going, "Oh, there's damn down, there's somebody at the bloody door." <laughs> <laughs> Because it was me, so. Oh, oh man. really? That's a good one, though. Good that thing she so loves mean. you. <laughs> yes, Liz, I uh, I agree. I don't know how she does love him, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about the hardest job yeah. in the air force. I thought it was funny. Yeah. Well. <laughs> All right, let's move on to uh, four. Robert. Um, hello, APG crew, new listener and can't get enough of the show. I work four through four to tens. So I can four sp- tens, four tens. So he works 10 hour shifts, four days. Oh, four tens. ah, thank you for correcting me on that. I, oh, wow. Those of us who work, those of us who work. Thing? Yeah. It's often a medical thing. Four Nurses oftentimes work four tens. Oh, see, I've never heard that term before. That's why we have a four ten. <laughs> a, a four ten to me is a very small shotgun. Yeah, that's true. That's below, uh, smaller than the 20 gauge. Next one. Yeah. Down yeah, in size. Yeah. So it's often a lady's shotgun. If they're slight. <laughs> or well, a boy's shotgun. The yeah. amount of hours you might work in a day and how many days. So a that's week a 40 hour work. week and you'll work four and you got four days. three days off. Yep. Three days. Okay. Mm-hmm. Nice. Very cool. 
course, I'm going to get lots of ladies writing in now saying, I can handle a 12-bore. And I'm sure you can. Yeah, watch out. They're going to be after you. That's what Careful, she said. Careful, they're going to be knocking on your door next. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and they won't be in Glasgow. Nope. Uh, no. Okay. Uh-uh. Well, let's see. I'm going to, I'm going to start again. New listener and can't get enough of the show. I work four tens so I can squeeze three podcasts in a day. Boy, do you guys make the workday go by faster now that I found you my favorite part of the show? Well, there's many, but if I had to pick one, it is when you talk about where you've been and everyone's layovers and such with their flight schedules. Very cool. Okay, uh, this also brings me to a question. What, what, is the, what is the airline policy on layovers in countries that don't have the safest reputation? A few years back, I got to visit a few Central American countries, and so as not to offend anyone, they shall remain nameless. But at that time, this particular country was considered the homicide capital of the world and was the most dangerous non-war zone country. I know that sounds dramatic, but those were the words the Google search was bringing up and when Googling this place at the time. Personally, I had a blast, and I didn't feel endangered at any point during my trip. I'm just curious how a company goes about securing crew safety during an overnight in a place considered dangerous. I know that there are other unsafe places in the world. This one comes to mind specifically because as I was arriving early in the morning for my flight back to the States, There were also flight crews getting out of their airport shuttles, so I can only assume that they had to at least spend the night there. Are there specific policies in place? Is it just a common sense approach? Thank you for any information, and thanks for such a great show. And again, that is Robert, and welcome, Robert, to the uh, community, and thanks for sending in feedback. So, um, I I would assume that um, Nick would probably, and, and... Rick, Nick and Rick will probably have the best uh, information regarding crew safety in countries around the world that maybe don't have the best reputation as far as safety. Yeah. So what, what you, what we do, uh, at least my um, outfit is um, before you head out, um, you review what are called a station guide. And these are, um, uh, documents basically pdfs with all the do's and don'ts of a particular place um uh, it'll have information about uh, your hotel uh places to stay away from um things to do what not to do uh, what to do in case of emergency you know, uh the um uh location of the nearest american consulate and all that kind of stuff and so you you know you go through then use obviously um, a little bit of common sense, which goes a long way. Uh, obviously, you're not going to put yourself in a position where um, something bad might happen to you because, well, one, uh, if, if something happens to you, then oftentimes, depending on the country where you, where you are, uh, they might not uh, ever hear from you again. So that's not a position that you want to put yourself in uh, at all. Um, there are... Different levels, obviously. I mean, um, I've been to places where uh, the station guide uh, recommends that you uh, not leave the, your uh, hotel or the hotel compound. Um, and, but oftentimes, um, you know, when when traveling with crew and people that are that 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 know the area, and and uh, you know, you you 
I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, for example, Delhi, a new Delhi. It's, it's, it's not exactly dangerous plays. It's not something. You know, and uh, the station guy, I believe it used to say, to, to stay on the, in the hotel property. But nobody ever did. You know, like, that's, you know if you get to Delhi, you're, you know, you're going to go to Agra. You're going to go see the Taj Mahal. You're going to go see, you know, go, you know, go to old Delhi, go new Delhi, go see the museums and all the, uh, um, and, uh, you're not going to try not to pass up on that opportunity because you might not, uh, get to, you know, fly there in a, you know, a year or two. So, um, again, common sense goes a long way. Um, I've stayed in, uh, places like, um, Kabul and Afghanistan, and uh, obviously there you have to be very, very careful, and then just uh, abide by what the uh, the uh, station guide says because there's also a liability issue. Something happens to you, uh, you as a crew member um, are insured by the company, and if you did not abide by what the company uh, instructed, then it's very possible that the insurance payout might not happen if something does happen to you. So uh, again, you know, just Use your head. Mm-hmm. Nick? Yeah, uh, what Rick says is exactly right. We, we, we of course, had the added um, complication of having an entire crew, which can vary from, you know, uh, a very young person, relatively speaking, um, 18, 19, who may not even be old enough to drink in some countries, um, and had seen very little of the world, and all of a sudden you're thrown into a job which takes you to all four corners, and um, uh, although everyone's trained and given briefings, uh, it's very hard sometimes to relate that with uh, the, the reality of being in a, in a strange country that doesn't follow the norms that you're used to at home. So it, I always felt it was very important to set the tone if you were going to a country which had particular restrictions. Uh, for example, if you're going to a country that had um, a very strong religious restrictions you had to remind the crew that um you know what went uh, perfectly normally at home might be considered very offensive in this country so uh, there are places where you'd need to cover up there are places where you couldn't really afford to uh, have a public display of affection that sort of thing uh, or you'd fall foul of the local uh, laws and there's no point putting your hand up saying oh well i'm from uh, Britain or I'm from America, we do it differently there because you're not in that country anymore and you have to abide by local laws. So that was always a, a big concern when you were taking um, young crew members to uh, sometimes even older crew members to foreign countries. Um, there were some countries where there are obvious security risks um, and we had a very good security department that kept close tabs on things. So, uh, for example, there was a while, you mentioned Delhi, where they had some pretty bad political rallies and there was a lot going on and, uh, you know, there was just a lot of advice on uh, the safest places to remain, which is always the hotel. You're always got a safe harbour there. If you decide to move out, then it's always worth going in a group so that, uh, you know, you're never in a position where you don't have support. Um, and some countries, literally, where you can't afford to leave the hotel compound, where you're taken in an, uh, an, uh, an escorted convoy with armed guards um, from the airport to the hotel, and um, there you remain, and then 
you, uh, you know, the reverse happens the next morning. You know, you met, you mentioned the, the escorts that, that always made me a little nervous because it, it was, you just stick out like a sore thumb. There goes the van full of foreigners with, uh, you know, armed, uh, <laughs> yes, armed you're, guards on both ends. You're, you're, like, you're, mm. you're quite right. Uh, but having so, said that, it was, it was the norm, uh, because yeah, you well, know, yeah, at absolutely. the airport, there would be like 10, uh, sets of, uh, guards taking various groups around, and it, and it was kind of considered normal in whatever country that was. Um, and at times, uh, well, only once, luckily, had our guards discharge their shotguns uh, to defend the convoy because uh, somebody got too close uh, for comfort. Um, and, of course, there, there are some countries where um, the crew, because they're considered affluent, uh, our prey are considered prayed for thieves, uh, and they will be. Uh, the bus might be stopped. Uh, the guards and drivers might be shot. There are some horror stories out there, so uh, you know it's it's something worth bearing in mind if you ever decide to take up a job uh, in the airline industry. Um, but don't worry, it never put me off. Though, you know, despite the fact that we went to some slightly dodgy places at times. Yeah, it never put me off either. I used to enjoy that stuff a lot. I haven't done in a while. Been fun most, mostly domestic now, but uh, it's it's fun. I mean, if you're into that kind of stuff, it uh, like I said, just use common sense. When I was doing my international flying at Acme, um, uh, we'd uh, lay over in um, in Oahu, and uh, let me tell you, the Hawaiian people are they they may look really nice and all the little you know promotional things you see. Uh, but they're very mean, evil people. And we were... Uh, Throw we, pineapples they, at you. And oh, whatnot. pineapples. Yeah, pineapple throwing. Mm. Yeah. They used to put the lace. lace. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Gratuitous yeah. Gift, yeah. giving of flowers. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. that was horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Don't really watch out for that. Yep. <laughs> no, yeah. but uh, seriously... All that, all that, all that luring, yeah. I know. But even domestically, uh, for instance, the um, riots that were going on um, and are still going on in some places here in the United States, um, you know, our corporate security will will change the hotel because a lot of times the longer layovers are going to be in the downtown area. And that's usually where the where the rioting and protesting and everything else is going on. The uh, guy that um, uh, took his RV and blew it up in Nashville, that created a corporate security um, response by, you know, putting us in a place, you know, closer to where the uh, airport was and not downtown. Uh, so, you know, even happens domestically uh, in countries like the United States. So Toronto and yeah. Toronto, especially well, they completely banned Toronto. Um, you know, we're not allowed border. to, yeah, they closed the border actually. <laughs> that was the uh, response. Well, well, from don't forget security. back in the seventies yeah. when, uh, England was, uh, actually a, a bombing target mm-hmm. for the Irish uh, Republican yeah. army. Um, crews coming inbound to the country at that time would have been warmed, you know, uh, England subjected to random bombing attacks. So be careful where you go and. You know? Yeah, but as Rick said, you know, your headed up and eyes open, and you know, like Rick was saying, common yeah, sense. you you common do pick sense, up right. a, a sixth sense to a certain extent, and I think uh, you know uh, your ability to move around with confidence, knowing where you're going, not looking like a tourist, not dressing like exactly. someone who doesn't belong. Yeah, uh, it exactly. helps a try lot. To, try to no try socks to and sandals. Bit, you know? <laughs> yeah, Hawaiian shirts that. and. Socks yeah. and like dark socks. Big camera with your on, a, on a lanyard around your neck or something. Yeah. You know, a and, and a map. And a map. Definitely a map. <laughs> just bury your head in it and 
Mickey Mouse, you'll be good. Yeah. Perfect. Great advice. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Actually, I have to say, when I started being able to navigate around cities using my phone, that was such a boon because everyone holds their phone when they're going around and I didn't have to have a tourist map. I always thought that was, that was brilliant. All right. There you go. All right. Well, thank you, Robert. Uh, again, um, good question. And also, uh, thanks for sending us the feedback and welcome to the APG. All right. Um, continuing on from Richard. Uh, this is an update. Um, the Thanksgiving aircraft crash in Kingston, Ontario. Um, if you can... You guys covered. Yeah, which we did. We covered this uh, shortly after it occurred. Uh, good day, all. If you can cast your minds back about a year, there was a fatal accident near the Kingston Airport of a general aviation aircraft near the American Thanksgiving weekend. I've sent in some details about the surrounding areas and what may have been likely circumstances about the accident. In addition, I elaborated on the surrounding areas and a probable scenario that led to this. Well, the TSB of Canada released its final report. And its findings weren't too surprising in the end. I'll add the link at the end for anyone else to read up on it as it revealed some things I wasn't aware of that investigators could use. The most interesting item was that data recovered from a GPS unit was used to better understand what the aircraft was doing up to the crash. I always thought of them as passive receivers and not actually recording anything for future use. A quick summary of the report shows that while the pilot did receive weather information, he may not have read it in its entirety, as there were many indicators that this wouldn't be a good day for VFR flying. Many of the airports forecasted poor weather with minimal VFR requirements met at best along the way. Additionally, he would probably arrive at night, which would complicate navigation greatly. While he had some experience with such conditions, it wasn't a large amount and only in his home region, which was Texas, I believe. The report has a captured track of the aircraft on its journey as well and shows that the pilot quickly realized he wasn't able to do a direct track uh, and tried to press on with an alternate plan. He was probably able to see Lake Ontario and use it as a guide and probably decided to make for Kingston Airport as a result. Previously, I stated that the lake effect in that area can be great, and I suspect that it took control of the situation as he neared the airport with low ceilings of visibility as he approached. As the final report notes, there was probably a loss of situational awareness as he entered clouds just north of the airport. What the GPS unit recorded provides a sobering account of the last minutes as the pilot tried to control the aircraft. The report, and by the way, uh, there were, I think, six other pass. There were six passengers in themselves, so seven people altogether in this uh, Piper that uh, crashed. The report also has other items listed, notably the probable weight of the aircraft after the crash. The pilot had overloaded the aircraft, which could be used to indicate his state of mind, which may have been that of reaching his destination. A limited amount of time off and a focus on the destination were in all likelihood high on his mind. I hope that new pilots take the time to re read this report and others like it so that they can avoid putting themselves in the same situation. Many pilots probably have been in situations like this and will freely admit that they got lucky when they landed safely. But others will make a different conclusion and do the same thing again. My only wish is that accidents like this become more rare in the long term. As always, I enjoy listening and do keep up the broadcasts, Richard. And again, he has a link to the uh, 
an article about the report and also the investigation itself. And that'll all be in the show notes. And it was a PA 32-260. So I'm not sure exactly what kind of piper that is, but it, apparently it was a at least a seven place, eight place airplane. What? That seems like too many. Six places like the biggest, right, Piper? Um, Steph? Uh, you know? It depends on the... Uh, this is a is that a Cherokee six? I forget. When it's all the numbers, I don't remember. I the, guess uh, maybe there was. Like I think a that's a Cherokee person. six. So that's six passengers and one pilot suit. Oh, okay. All right. Anyway, uh, it, it is a sobering report, especially the last uh, few minutes of that flight before um, he lost control of the airplane and crashed, and uh, obviously disoriented and not used to flying. In instrument meteorological conditions. Yeah, Cherokee 6, David Ogden says. Okay. Oh, what do you think here, Steph? Yeah, I mean, actually, I like um, how Richard kind of summed things up there. You know, um, experience counts for a lot, but it's also important to make sure that you take time to do your planning and that you know your personal limitations and, and um, limits for the aircraft as well um, so that you don't get yourself into a situation that you don't want to find yourself in. Um, and I think he's right that, you know, a lot of pilots out there have found themselves in situations they'd rather not be in. And, um, the way to move forward from that, assuming everything turns out safely in the end is to go back and kind of debrief it and think about what should have gone differently, what could have gone differently and, and how you can learn from it. Um, and it's, it's always sad when we have to learn from the mistakes of others that did not have a good outcome. And that really, I think everybody would agree distinguishes good pilots from maybe not so good pilots is the fact that when they get themselves into the situation, they learn the lesson and they don't repeat it. But sadly there are people out there that just, and, and try very hard not to get yourself in those situations in the first place. Right. You know. hmm. Absolutely. A lot of pilots have good flying skills uh, and uh, good instrument flying skills, but if you're, uh, a good pilot, then you'll use other skills to prevent you from having to use those good flying skills, those good instrument skills. A lot of that comes down to uh, planning. Uh, so, yeah. Planning, decision-making, knowing your own personal minimums and not having that get-there-itis mentality. You know, it's, um, do you ever yeah. really have to get to your destination? There's very few instances, especially in GA flying, where, gosh, we must get there right now. There's very, very, very few instances I can think of. Yep. Yeah, and it, it goes from, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're flying a 747 or a Cherokee 6, uh, your plane command of the aircraft, uh, the same judgment applies, regardless of the size of the aircraft. Um, so, uh, you know, PIC goes hand in hand with judgment. It's called airmanship. No matter the type. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, uh, Richard, for giving us an update on the final report of that uh, sad crash. Um, from Stephen, um, in episode 463, there was um, a Greenpeace um, demonstration at, uh, was it Charles de Gaulle? Yeah. Um, and one of the banners, well, here I'll read what he says. Dear Jeff and the APG crew, I'm only halfway through the episode, so I don't know if anyone in the chat room has explained the significance of the Greenpeace banners in the article about protesters painting an Air France aircraft at Charles de Gaulle. I've attached an audio version of my feedback for pronunciation purposes. 
But in essence, the Is There a Pilot to Save the Environment slogan is a mashup of the French titles of the Zucker Abrams um, comedies, which starred Leslie Nielsen, uh, for example, Airplane and Naked Gun. Well, I'll tell you what, let me let Stephen explain it to us via the audio feedback that he sent in, because I was just looking down and there's some stuff there that I'm not sure how to pronounce. So we're going to let Stephen do it. <laughs> so here we go. Take it away, Stephen. Dear Jeff and the APG crew, this is Stephen Hitchin calling from Yorkshire in the UK. I have a bit of feedback for episode 463 and the article um, on Greenpeace protesters who'd got onto the apron at Charles de Gaulle Airport and had painted part of an Air France plane green. They were carrying banners with a slogan which you found rather confusing, the slogan being, is there a pilot to save the environment? Well, of course, this slogan, it's not very catchy and it, it's, well, I mean, it's just confusing, really. Um, now, I did a degree in French and I spent four years in France and I'm very thankful that finally I can use uh, my studies and knowledge to uh, great effect. And I can tell you that uh, this banner harks back to the Zucker Abrams uh, series of films such as Airplane, Airplane 2, Naked Gun, etc etc and these films have in french as their title uh, the the root is yatil an which means is there a in the case of uh, naked gun it was yatil an flic pour sauver la reine which is is there a cop to save the queen and uh, for airplane it was yatil an pilote dans l'avion which is is there a pilot in the plane uh, so you can see that they've used these uh, two titles and mashed them together, and that's where they got their banner from. Um, and just in case you're thinking, um, uh, surely you can't be serious, I am serious, and don't call me Shirley. Stephen Hitchin checking out. I know, but this guy doing the flying has no airline experience at all. He's a menace to himself and everything else in the air. Yes, birds too. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. No, sorry. I didn't mean to stop. <laughs> um, let's see. We need to turn off the uh, banner here. I was oh, there say, we go. I'm just glad that he was finally able to use all that French degree in time in France yeah, to for, for, help for us good maintain use. our 50% accuracy here. <laughs> Thank you very much, Stephen. I like it. When he said that, I'm thinking, oh, that's sad that he finally gets to use it for for the show. Now, now, I'm sure he <laughs> finally came in handy. Finally. We do appreciate it, though, Stephen. We benefited greatly from your uh, your great. degree. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's good stuff. I love I love the way he said. Well, I'm not even going to try it. I'm not even going to attempt it. Yetil un pilote dans la Ooh, ooh la la. There we go. There we go. Um, I you know don't get a chance to use any of the French that I studied, and I don't remember it very well either. So thank you for not making me do all of that work, Stephen. <laughs> I don't either, and I never learned any. Uh, very good. <laughs> I didn't learn nothing. Uh, he also said, uh, you questioned the meaning of greenwash, which was the protesters' accusation against the French government. I, yeah, I know what whitewash is, and I knew that, you know, using that context, that what greenwash would be. I'm just saying, I don't, I'm not used to hearing that term used as often as whitewash. But, yeah. Okay. Um, let's continue. Th- thanks again, Stephen. Uh, Peter writes in, 
Sky Gods and Jumbo Jets. And I, I think he means Dumbo Jets because that, that was the name of that particular episode, right? Sky Gods and Dumbo Jets. You know, the Correct. big ears. Uh, hi, Captain Jeff played catch up. I play catch up on past episodes when I run out of current ones. And when was listening this morning to APG 464, the pilot who busted or dusted the Bravo shelf was, in my opinion, a bit confused. Yeah, this is quite evident when he finally responds to ATC's calls and appears to trade places with the controller. Perhaps he was attempting to throw off the controller with his call of 114 Foxtrot Alpha Frequency change approved. <laughs> it was like, yeah, it was funny when I heard him say that. Um, cheers. Uh, Papa Tanga. Uh, no. This is Peter Tarantelli. Thank you, Peter. That's your second warning, Peter. Yeah. <laughs> I might have to automatically card. dump that. Yeah, so, yellow card. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it'll be in the sim bin. <laughs> yes, uh, we we agree completely with you, Peter. I think he was definitely confused, and I'm not sure he was purposely trying to throw off the controller with his, you know, with the call one one four, Foxtrot Alpha frequency change approved. <laughs> but maybe he was just trying to lurk and like maybe nobody will see me. I'll just leave and pretend that you <laughs> sent me to a new frequency. Nope. Yep. Nope. Didn't work. So fast. <laughs> nice if, I, if I leave the frequency, you can't give me a telephone number. That's right. <laughs> I won't be able to hear it. Hey, it's not like you know who I am. Thing. I'll never find me again. <laughs> and that was one one four four. Something yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, thanks, Peter, for sending in the feedback. And then let's quickly go to Kurt. Can we get this one? Yeah, I think yeah. we can. Yeah, that's good. Uh, Kurt is, um, we'll see. I'll just start from the beginning. Hi, crew. Kurt Wagner from Northeast Ohio. I'm not sure how to post in the APG community Facebook section, but if this below uh, is an accepted way to participate in the community section of your Facebook page, would you be willing to post? Well, as it turns out, yes. Uh, Liz saw your post in Facebook, which I don't really get to too often. Um, and uh, so now we have it here in our feedback section. Uh, best way, by the way, if you're listening out there, you're new, um, to send us feedback is to just uh, do an email, address it to feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. Okay. Yeah. It involves a lot less work for us to yeah. dig these things out. And there's a good chance Correct. that uh, if you put it somewhere else, uh, like Facebook or whatever, we may not see it. You know, we may completely miss it. Yeah. It could go missed. It could go missed. Yes. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. My name is Kurt from Northeast Ohio. I've suffered from the syndrome for about five years now. Oh, that's sad. Uh, forget being just a navigator. I'm just an aviation enthusiast, a pilot at heart trapped in a normal eight to five body. In any case, I admit I do not interact often with the APG community, but I love listening on my lunchtime walks, and I feel like the crew and regular community contributors are like family. Like Jeff always says, the best part is the community. Yeah, so I'm pausing his feedback right there. Whether you actually, you know, do communicate with other people in the community or not, just being a listener of our show and sending us feedback like you're doing right here, that is um, participating in the community. So, um, I'll continue. Uh, let's see, where was I to my point for posting? 
I'm organizing a guy's baby barbecue. That sounds dangerous. <laughs> Equivalent of a baby <laughs> shower. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, the <laughs> they're not going to barbecue the baby. Um, so it's a, it's a, a equivalent of a baby shower, but for the guys, about five of us, to get out and do something special with the dad-to-be. The dad-to-be is a big aviation enthusiast, and I thought it would be really cool to explore some type of behind-the-scenes aviation experience, such as an ATC tower tour or hangar-slash-maintenance tour or something else cool I'm not even aware of. Does anyone in the Northeast Ohio APG community have any connections that they might be able to point me towards to see if anything like this might be possible? We have a lot of community members in Northeast Ohio, by the way. I'm afraid that COVID might still be hindering some of this kind of stuff, but I wanted to reach out to the community to see if anyone in the Cleveland, Akron, Canton area might have a contact or cool idea. Thanks in advance. So, and again, that's Kurt from the greater Akron area. And uh, yeah, if you're anybody out there listening up in that area, and I know, as I said, um, many, many uh, people in the APG community do live up there in the Cleveland, Akron, Canton, and even what, Youngstown, Ohio, and all those areas up there. So, um, how far is the USAF uh, museum? Oh, it's Dayton. Yeah, da- is it Dayton way? is kind of in the southern part south um eastern i mean western part of the state that might be a little bit too far of a drive but that is a good idea the u.s air force um museum liz is mentioning um is a great aviation experience but that may be a little bit too far to go for a baby barbecue (laughs) baby might be crying barbecue and road trip how about that baby barbecue and road trip Uh, i will say that i think um tower tours like atc facility tours are on hold right now because yeah. of covid so yeah, i don't point. think that's something that will work out at the moment I um, fly. <laughs> uh. i always think museum visits are great but you know if they're open how about how about this um akron maybe all all your guy friends have already done this but akron is the home of goodyear or used to be um and they have a thing called a blimp that uh, is up there. Oh, that's yeah, Zeppelin. That that yeah. Nazi company and Goodyear <laughs> got together and started building blimps. Yes, actually, they supposed to have some huge hangars there. I don't know they if do. they have tours there. They, I don't know well, if they do or not, go. but that might be something to look into. Yeah, um, uh, make sure you play the plain tale about U one three four or whatever it was, the U boat that uh, shot down. The uh, U.S. Navy blimp in the Second World War, the only blimp to ever get shot down, the K-16, I want to say, but uh, it's about a while since I did that plane tale. Yeah. Um, let's see. He says that uh, he can be reached. Okay, so he's. I'm not going to give his email address out here, but if, if somebody reaches us and says, yeah, go ahead and give me the information to contact Kurt, um, then we'll... We'll facilitate that in the background. Um, yeah. Or if, he, if if somebody's a friend on APG Facebook, uh, then he can tag them there or they can tag him. Um, all right. Very good. So thanks, Kurt. Hopefully we'll get some responses from the community up there in uh, Northeast Ohio. All right. What do you okay. think, Liz? Should we go to the yeah. plain tale? I think we can do a plain tale now. Yeah. Okay. Yep. 
All right. Uh, let's see here. It's now that time of the show, the best time, the best part of the show, which is the old pilot's plane tales. And this week's episode, how do you pronounce it? Aprella. Oh, Aprilia Adin. Based on your phonetic spelling, <laughs> old pilot. And let's go over here to push the right button. Okay, take it away. The old pilot's plain tales. Aprilia Adin. The 1950s and 60s saw the world of aviation blossom. With the advent of new technologies, many coming from the military advances made during the war, combined with a new post-war optimism, the technological breakthroughs hardly slowed. Manned flight through the sound barrier had already been achieved and now science was delivering materials that allowed aircraft to surpass Mach 2 and then Mach 3. Nazi terror weapons were only the beginning, and soon the Soviets had their first ICBMs, shortly followed by the American Atlas. But then the world would be stunned when the Soviets launched Sputnik into outer space. With the public's eyes open to a world outside the confines of planet Earth, the possibility of life on other planets was being seriously considered. The thought of meeting creatures from another world can be traced way back to Lucian of Samutza, a Greek-speaking author of Assyrian descent who penned the novella A True Story in the second century, telling of travel to outer space, alien life forms and interplanetary warfare. Many more books were to follow, like A New Atlantis by Francis Bacon, The Man in the Moon by Francis Goodwin, and Marianne de Rumier-Robert's story of Lord Seton's voyage among the seven planets. The post-war period, however, saw modern authors like Ray Bradbury, Arthur C. Clarke, Frederick Pohl, Paul Anderson and Isaac Asimov take the genre to new heights. The mind of the public was being opened to so many new possibilities that when Orson Welles announced to his amazed radio audience that Martians were invading New Jersey, many terrified listeners truly believed that the Earth was under attack. Thousands of listeners rushed from their homes in New York and New Jersey, many with towels across their faces to protect themselves from the gas which the invader was supposed to be spewing for. It's hardly surprising that reports of unexplained occurrences would increase exponentially. After all, if military fighter pilots could see these strange flying machines, then it's hardly surprising that the general public would as well. Indeed, a well-known and popular band, the Foo Fighters, was named after the nickname given to strange metallic spheres, balls of light and other shapes that apparently followed World War II aircraft. These occurrences were reported and on occasion photographed by both Allied and Axis pilots. Suggested explanations included St. Elmo's Fire, the planet Venus, 
hypoxia-induced hallucinations or secret weapons, and therein lies a clue to some future reports. In 1946, more than 2,000 statements were collected, primarily by the Swedish military, concerning unidentified aerial objects over the Scandinavian nations, along with isolated reports from France, Portugal, Italy and Greece. The items were referred to as Russian hail, and later as ghost rockets, because it was thought the mysterious objects were possibly Russian tests of captured German war experiments. Although most were thought to be such natural phenomena as meteors, more than 200 were tracked on radar by the Swedish military and deemed to be real physical objects. In a 1948 top-secret document, Swedish authorities advised the United States Air Force Europe that some of their investigators believed these craft to be extraterrestrial in origin. There were so many sightings by both military and civilian people that projects and studies were initiated, such as Project Sign, Grudge and Blue Book. Even military regulations were amended to include the possibility of extraterrestrial spacecraft being sighted. Air Force Regulation 200-2, issued in 1953 and in 54, stated that an identified flying object, UFOB, was any object airborne which by performance, aerodynamic characteristics or unusual features does not conform to any presently known aircraft or missile type or which cannot be positively identified as a familiar object. The regulations also said that UFOBs were to be investigated as a possible threat to the security of the United States and to determine technical aspects involved. The regulation went on to say, it is permissible to inform news media representatives on UFOBs when the object is positively identified as a familiar object, but added, for those objects which are not explainable, only the Air Technical Intelligence Centre will analyse the data that is worthy of release, due to many unknowns involved. The subject of UFOs became a very popular theme in the press, on the television and in film, and the fact that the military kept very tight-lipped on the subject became, in itself, cause for conspiracy theories to abound something that the intelligence service quietly encouraged. There were many very secret projects that the US government were investing enormous resources in, and when a rare sighting was made, any alternative explanation was preferable to the truth. Indeed, the more the general public believed that little green men were zooming around in flying saucers, the better. Edwards is the home to many test pilots, and the vast majority were there to fly and develop the regular inventory of aircraft that the USAF flew or were destined to fly in the near future. There were, however, a chosen few who were often seen shipping in and out of that special box within the Nevada Test and Training Range, known as Area 51. 
there were a few small cadre of pilots, and most had no formal name, but were given a variety of monikers. Our unit, who flew the YF-117A, were the Vaja Scorpions, named after a scorpion found in their office, and the whalers worked on the Tacit Blue, first flown on the 5th of February 1982. Back in the late 50s, there were a few pilots generally referred to as groomers after the nearby Groom Lake. The groomers flew one of the most exciting and remarkable projects of the time, details of which are only now starting to emerge after 60 years. The groomers were working on aircraft that employed the Coanda effect, named after the discoverer, Henri Coanda, a Romanian inventor and aerodynamics pioneer who described his effect as the tendency of a jet of fluid emerging from an orifice to follow an adjacent flat or curved surface and to entrain fluid from the surroundings so that a region of lower pressure develops. What Henri had developed was a way for a saucer to fly and he is the father of the flying saucer. The basic principle of the commander effect is that if air is ejected from the top of a dome and deflected to follow the curved surface, it will generate a change in pressure that will lift the dome. It's a simple enough effect that can be seen at most garden centres or nurseries when you watch the water flow around a globe-shaped fountain. The water will flow around the globe far beyond what seems possible. It's held there by the Coanda effect. Henri took out patents on his discovery in 1936, and no other than Theodore von Kármán, the Hungarian-American mathematician, aerospace engineer and physicist, famed for his work in aero and astronautics, accepted Henri as being the discoverer of the effect. Von Kármán's work on the Coanda effect would inspire Jack Frost, a British aircraft designer who worked for Avro Canada, to develop the idea of a disc-shaped aircraft that would have remarkable performance, with speeds reaching Mach 3 or 4. In 1953, the Avro car was displayed to the public. It was a disc-shaped vertical landing and takeoff aircraft with a central power plant that, if developed, could have been a fighter of the future. The Canadian Minister for Defence Production informed the House of Commons that Avro was indeed working on a flying saucer capable of reaching 1,500 miles per hour, 2,400 kilometres per hour, and capable of climbing vertically. Nevertheless, for reasons never fully explained, further funding was never made available. However, back in the Nevada test ranges, a black United States version of the Avrocar Project Silver Bug was making headway. After overcoming a number of stability issues, the Silver Bug was progressing well, and the groomers were getting to grips with their project. Simply known as Y2, 
the silver bug went through various iterations, changes of power plants and improvements, but the writing was on the wall. It was never going to live up to its potential. Until late September 1956, a chance discovery was made. The weather over Nevada was being affected by the jet stream La Nina and that had moved to the north and was sweeping down over Area 51. One of the groomers was flying the Y-2B at over 33,000 feet and close to Mach 1 when he encountered turbulence from the jet stream. He had been in the layer of fast-moving air when his aircraft pitched hard up, flying out of the jet, but now in slower air, his momentum gave him a boost of speed. As his control problems continued, he pitched down and back into the fast-flowing jet, whereupon he gained another 150 knots of speed. He eventually got the cycle of pitching up and down under control, but on the last exit of the jet stream, he had gained so much energy that the silver bug had exceeded Mach 1. Back on the ground, the data from this remarkable flight was examined, and it revealed a stunning fact. The groomers had discovered a way to surf the jet stream, utilising the power of the atmosphere to accelerate the aircraft by over a 100 knots with each cycle in and out of the energetic flow. More flights were undertaken and the technique refined so that with repeated loops in and out of the jet stream, a boost of speed could be achieved that accelerated the aircraft beyond Mach 1, then Mach 2 and even up to Mach 3. What's more, the usual heating problems associated with very high Mach number was greatly reduced since when re-entering the jet, the relative airflow was lower as was the heat generated, giving the skin a chance to rapidly cool. The most remarkable discovery was, however, the reduction in fuel requirements. Once the cycle in and out of the jet, coined dipping, was established, the only engine power needed was that required for attitude control and to maintain the coander effect the vital aerodynamic force that made this energy exchange so efficient. The potential for long-range, high supersonic flight was incredible, and by the time the Y2F00 Lima came along, that potential was realised. In early April 1961, the saucer, now named the Silver Surfer, took off from Holloman Air Force Base in New Mexico in an attempt to circumnavigate the globe. Overhead lay the subtropical jet stream, one of four semi-permanent jets that circle the Earth. Ahead was a fleet of C-130 weather ships to aid in plotting the jet stream's height and its meandering path and pass that information to the Silver Surfer, as well as KC-135 tankers to aid recovery should the attempt falter. The unnamed groomer pilots clambered into their independent cockpits and took off, climbing up into a strong jet of 170 knots. Within a 100 miles or so, they had their dipping routine established and had already cruised up to Mach 2.8 
It was a punishing routine of climbs and dives that subjected both pilots and the airframe to a continuous cycle of around 4G with little respite. However, averaging 1,800 knots, they were covering the ground at 34 miles every minute. They coasted out over Florida and began their crossing of the Atlantic, the fastest achieved to date by a huge margin. They progressed over North Africa, the Mediterranean, and then over the Black Sea. When the jet curved north into Soviet airspace, their chain of support aircraft were unable to come with them, so the Silver Surfer followed the forecast route of the stream. There were apparently a few moments of tension when they lost their river of air for a few minutes, leaving them vulnerable to interception by Soviet fighters. The crew quartered the sky until, almost by luck, their ground speed rose as they hit the middle again. Restarting their hard climbs and dives, they regained their momentum as the jet stream curved down over China, past Japan and out across the Pacific. Despite being back into the coverage of their med aircraft, the Silver Surfer again lost the core of the jet, but only for a little under a hundred miles before they re-established their cruel routine of dipping in and out again and again. Coasting in over the west coast of the United States, they passed overhead Holloman two hours, 47 minutes and 27 seconds after takeoff, completing an incredible flight of around 4,229 miles at an average speed of 1,787.53 miles per hour. Their fuel reserves were so high that they were able to return directly to Homey Airport in Area 51, and it was estimated that, had the groomer pilots been able to withstand over two more hours of punishment, they could have completed at least one more circumnavigation of the 30th parallel. There is still a great deal to be discovered about the Silverbug project, its achievements, and why it was wound down in the late 60s. Certainly, an aircraft that had to remain within the vicinity of jet streams would have been at a severe tactical disadvantage, more so, however, for the US than the USSR, since the subtropical jet stream wouldn't necessarily take bombers over the Soviet Union, and the polar jet that could is lower and slower and less reliable, the USSR had the advantage since the opposite was true. Regardless, once ICBMs were part of the military's inventory, the development of more such craft became unnecessary. It also remains the question of how the Canadians were persuaded to abandon the Avro car, and more worryingly, how the Soviet Air Force was able to build a strikingly similar aircraft within a few years of the Silver Bug. The Soviet flying saucer, Aprilia Adin, named for the birth date of Sergei Rachmaninoff, the famed Russian pianist, is known to have flown from their secret base at Igotcha, but whether they discovered its amazing ability to harness the power of the atmosphere in the same way as the Silver Bug project is unknown. However, one thing is for sure, 
Once these aircraft ceased their secret test flights, the number of reports describing alien spacecraft capable of unimaginable performance fell to just those that came from the misguided or those with an overexcited imagination. For a while, though, the Silver Surfer kept the Air Technical Intelligence Center very busy. Wow. You are an amazing storyteller, old pilot. (laughs) Uh, With the emphasis on story. I just relate what I hear. (laughs) Yes, it, it... Research, it is, uh, right? it, those black projects, you know, they're all very, yeah. very interesting. So, I tell you, I, I particularly like the name of the Russian base. That's uh, me too. That, uh, <laughs> I gotcha. Yeah, I, gotcha. I don't know quite how you're supposed to pronounce that, but <laughs> no, no, no. my no, best no, guess no. was uh, uh, I, as in Ivan, uh, gotcha. Uh, I gotcha. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's love right. It. Yeah, love it. Very clever. Very but clever. Uh, Laura thought there was something a bit tricky about the registration of that uh, um, Silver Surfer F zero zero Lima. Huh. I don't know what she sees there. I don't, I don't quite no. understand that. But there you go. That was. And, and if you're trying to pick holes in uh, the science, I'm afraid you'll have a hard time. It's uh, all true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, science. science it's science. Yeah, gotta believe it. <laughs> science. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love, oh, it. love it. Love it. Great job. Great job. Hey, um, sorry about. I don't know what's going on with my video. It's just flickering like crazy today, which it norm- normally does not do. I'm just on fire. <laughs> uh, no, it's the okay. electrostatics. It's got to be it. The electricity of the, the show is just. Yeah, totally. I can't. I can't control it. <laughs> All right. Um, thanks again, Nick. Um, great uh, plain tale. Um, let's continue with uh, nine. 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 Uh, Ethan. Hey, guys. Continue to love. Hey, guys. <laughs> continue to love the podcast. Uh, it's playing constantly in my office offering a welcome distraction from the perpetual Zoom meeting that the hospital administrative world has learned to become so accustomed to. Yeah, <laughs> you. Yeah, are you familiar with that as well, uh, Steph? Mm, I've had a few Zoom meetings. Fortunately, I'm not on the administrative side very much, so I don't have to do it all day long, but I feel your pain there uh, for sure, <laughs> Ethan. Uh, anyway, I found this great old video about Virgin Atlantic 747-200 operations while on the exercise bike last week. Two things. First, does Captain Nick recognize any of these guys? And then second, Rick, fast forward to around 25 minutes. Back in the 200 series, was it common to see the four throttles at different positions during different phases of flight? Was the flight engineer responsible? Yeah, on the 727 too. Uh, for setting thrust during the entire flight? I assume that there was no auto throttle on the Dash 200. On the 747-400, we why do we not see the throttle set at different positions like in this video? I think we have somebody here that magic. can tell you the ant. Yes, magic. <laughs> um, not science? No. Darn. Science. That's <laughs> scientific magic. Um, let's see. Let, uh, let me share a little bit of the... Well, you know what? We don't have to play the video. It'll be in the show notes, and you can watch 
the um uh the, around the 25 minute mark the uh the throttle position but first let's ask nick if he recognizes any of these people in this video uh well yeah of course um not really i don't really know them very well because mm. uh, the boeing fleet and the airbus fleet didn't mix much we didn't usually go to the same destinations the only time you'd bump into people would be perhaps when you checked in and uh, were just doing your paperwork for uh, perhaps 20 minutes and, you know, just to pass the time of day. However, um, when I joined the company, I did a skills test, a uh, flying skills test in a 747 simulator. Uh, and um, the engineer, the, the chief engineer, or sorry, the engineer that was manning the panel of the simulator, um, the 747 simulator was Alan Bonnick. And um, he, he, I sat in the captain's seat. Uh, the trainer was in the first officer's seat, and we just basically, I just was asked to fly the aircraft around and uh, do various, um, you know, tricks with it. Uh, and um, when we got to the end of it, uh, I was uh, asking the trainer. I was saying, "Look, I've I've got a job already lined up with another airline." Uh, is you can you know I, I really want to come to Virgin. I don't really want to go to this other airline. Um, uh, you know, can you give me some indication, or perhaps ask the a, a, you know the head office to send me a letter through so I can make a decision as to where I go? Uh, because I don't have a lot of time before the, my uh, A three hundred course with Monarch, which where I would have gone. Um, starts, and uh, he he was saying, "Oh, well, I really can't say anything right now." But uh, but behind him, flight engineer Alec Bonick was just giving me a thumbs up. <laughs> he was just going, "Yeah, <laughs> you, you you did." He was basically saying you did good. So that was really nice. Uh, yeah, really the other guy goes, what, what 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 are you looking at? Yeah. Why, why are you smiling? <laughs> yeah. Ooh, nothing, nothing, nothing. <laughs> no, really nice bloke. That's small world, isn't it? So, Rick, yeah, absolutely. What's the deal with those darn throttles? Well, it's, it's as simple as this. Back in the old uh, Dash Two Hundreds, uh, the throttles and the throttle quadrant was uh, connected by uh, just you no know, old school, you know, steel cables to hydromechanical uh, fuel control units in each engine, and so um, you would set. The required power based on either your engine pressure ratio or your N1, whatever your your, your primary power setting uh, um, parameter was. And since you were mechanically connected to the fuel control unit in the engine uh, and the rigging is different from uh, thrust lever to thrust lever, uh, the, the amount of, of uh, thrust lever, I guess, uh, travel required to give you that, uh, that uh, power setting might be different from uh, from lever to lever because of the rigging. So that's as yep. simple as that. So uh, that's that's basically what happened there. And the reason why you don't see it on the 400 is because the 400 uses, just like most uh, modern airliners, uh, they use what's called um, a thrust lever angle transducer, which just sounds like a mouthful, but it's really... All it is, it's 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 a device that uh, um, that uses a very low voltage DC current, and that puts that um, that is directly proportional to um, to power. So the the higher the voltage, obviously the further uh, up the quadrant the uh, thrust lever is. That voltage is sent to a processor, which is connected to what are called ECs, electronic engine controls. 
And those EECs send an electronic signal to the fuel control units uh, in the engines, giving you the power that you require. And so since these are electronic signals, um, uh, the, uh, the difference uh, between lever and lever is uh, negligible versus uh, a, uh, uh, a physical cable connected from the throttle to is, the fuel control. Is that all uh, part of the, uh, the FADEC uh, full authority digital uh, engine control uh, system? So FADEC, FADEC, uh, is, FADEC is one thing and EEC is another thing. Okay. They're, they're, based, they're, they're, they're both electronic engine controls. Okay. Um, but, um, a FADEC, uh, the, one of the, one of the differences between a FADEC and an EC is that a FADEC actually shuts the engine down to protect, uh, the uh, engine from, okay. uh, any overtemp, overboost, anything like that. And EC doesn't, the EC, all it really does is it just provides constant thrust, uh, based on the required, uh, um, uh, thrust at the time, uh, and it, and it, and it uh, corrects for, you know, uh, difference in, uh, in, in altitude, uh, density, temperature, all these things. That does it for you. So the EC is basically your flight engineer. So but, the, yeah, but going back to the 200, the the 200 did have a, a, an auto throttle um, uh, for for the cruise portion of it. So yeah. And so um, in the 400 with the EECs and the the low voltage DC transformers and all that kind of stuff, basically there was no cable right going from the the thrust no, levers no all the way back to the fuel controls on the on the no engines. Cable, no cable whatsoever. So no there you go. Whatsoever. That's why it can just all be all nice and lined up, right? Where, as mm-hmm. airplanes such as the 200 model of the 747, the 727-200 that I flew, I mean, if if some sometimes you get engines that were really not, or the or the uh, alignment or the, the trim or the rigging was not, or over time had gotten worse and worse, and it wasn't unusual to see like a knob width or more of difference between the uh, the three. Uh, thrust levers on the airplane. And I tell you, when when I got my AMP license, um, one of the things I had to do as part of my um, my power plant exam, practical exam, because just as just as a pilot exam, you go through three three a three portion exam, an oral, a practical, and a written. Right, and so the part of the practical exam on my power plant uh, certification was to adjust the rigging of one of these cables. And so what you do is along the length of the cable, you have what are called uh, turnbuckles. And um, these are safety wired, obviously, to make sure that uh, that uh, they, they don't uh, loosen up. And really, what turnbuckles do is they change the tension on the wire by so by screwing the center of the turnbuckle clockwise. So you're pulling both screws into the turnbuckle, uh, you know, taking away the slack from that cable. And so that's kind of that's kind of how you rig things uh, the right way. It's part of, I mean, and at the end of the day, you're kind of eyeballing it because it's it's a really, really, really hard procedure to uh, to rig uh, throttle cables. Um, so, but that's that's really what you're seeing. They're just different in rigging. Okay. Well, if I you remember want- sitting on the uh, seven. Uh, I was going to say seven forty two. The uh, VC ten uh, jump seat with my old man, mm. and uh, the flight engineer there had his uh, a completely independent set of throttles. Wow. So on the side of his um, panel, uh, or, or his table, on the edge of the panel, he had uh, four throttles, to, um, you know, which matched and uh, were linked to the ones in the center console the captain used. And uh, he would tweak them during the cruise. Uh, and it was quite common for um, the captain, who was when he was flying an approach, to call for um, RPM or thrust settings, uh, and the flight engineer would set them for him, so he wouldn't actually have his hands on the thrust levers. Auto throttles. Right. 
Things are <laughs> powered, powered by engineers. Now on the on the, on the old dash two hundred throttles, the uh, at the so you you have the the, the thrust uh, I guess the thrust levers that the the, the pilots that use, and then just after that, uh, behind the the the, the the set that the pilots use, uh, there is a set that the engineer uses, and so he kind of scoots up between the captain and the first officer and sets power using his own set of handles there in lieu of having his own uh, throttle quadrant and uh, on this on his side panel there. But it's the same same principle. Are those the ones that you see that are a little bit lower and they're sticking out like perpendicular? Exactly right, right above the fuel cutoff switches. Yeah, those are for I was the looking engineer. at those, thinking, what the heck are those? That can't be the thrust yeah, reverse are- levers. No, no, yeah, those are for the engineer. That's, okay, uh, because remember, the engineer, the engineer actually sets the engineer sets takeoff thrust mm-hmm. and sets climb power because uh, the so you you have on the on the old you know dash one hundred and two hundred you had old school, um, um, I guess analog uh, thrust computers which would give you a target uh, either EPR or N one depending on the phase of flight and altitude and all that stuff. Uh, but the engineer had set that, and then once it was set, then you would engage the auto throttle, and it would actually act more like a cruise control. Uh, the, uh, the the changes still had to be made by the engineer, and that's why he had a set of the, his set of uh, of yes, uh, 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 there. Interesting. So, yeah. All right, very good. Well, thanks, uh, Ethan, for sending that in. Again, we'll have the link to the YouTube video in the show notes if you want to take a look at it. Uh, Continuing on, Harris writes us and says, Hi, APG crew. I came across this picture two years ago. And go ahead and show that overlay, um, Liz, if you can find it. There we go. I finally remembered to send it to you now that Dr. Steph cut her hair. There's a strong similarity to the photo on the website wouldn't you say oh i guess he he meant to send it before she cut her hair yeah because this picture a little bit longer hair it says uh there's a strong similarity to the photo on the website wouldn't you say where's my aviator sunglasses yeah you need to put your aviators on at the moment and your pilot uh your your (laughs) you need your your russian uh military hat as well Anyway. Yeah, I can see that. It looks like me. Yeah, it looks like some kind of I promotional have never been to Frankfurt, cartoon so, at Frankfurt. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Actually, I might just steal that and use it as my avatar or something. I like That's it. That's a good idea. Did you yeah. give them permission to use your picture? I'm not going to ask. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah. I wasn't going to ask them. They didn't ask me. So. Yeah, it's a. I like it. Maybe you've put uh, you've put epaulets on your uh, on your blazer there. You know? Oh yeah. So yeah. you have uh, you know yeah. total. Yeah. I don't know when I got promoted to captain, but. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I like that double stripes. Ah, that's good. Good eye there. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, all the all the extra stripes. All the stripes. Yeah. <laughs> all the stripes. Like that one video, the guy. Yeah. Remember that one? Yeah, like doing like the pattern, talking about the traffic side. pattern. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> but no scrambled egg on your hat. That's yeah. So disappointing. Aww. I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, well, actually, some air at at uh, at LAN, uh, you, as a captain, you had to uh, have had your man for ten years to get oh at scrambled eggs. Interesting. All right. Sure uh, yeah. Okay. Um. Anyway, uh, Harris continues. Uh, Jeff, if you're ever up for a cup of coffee and a chat at the Starbucks at Mansell and Highway Nine, which is just up the road from here, let me know. I don't think I've been there since the last time we met. Um. I've been there many times since the last time we met. 
Uh, he says best Harris uh, Bergman PhD. Um, yeah, that uh, was a lot of fun. And yeah, I look forward to meeting up with you again sometime for a cup of coffee. All right. Thanks for sending in the feedback. And I'm glad you're still out there listening, Harris. Um, oh, we have some more audio feedback this time from JJ Pittsburgh. And apparently JJ has a beef, a beef with the subject of our last feedback, Dr. Steph. So take it away, JJ. Hey, Captain Jeff, Steph, Rick, Liz, how's it going? Um, it is JJ Pittsburgh. Anyway, I was leaving a message just to say hi, but also I had a beef with Dr. Steph, um, literally a beef, <laughs> because um, she's talking about on the latest episode that I was listening to uh, about cookout, the drive through fast food eatery. I'm on an eating plan right now. I'm getting myself healthy and that food, even though it's amazing, it's far from healthy. And, um, I was just complaining to Steph because man, that gave me a craving for cookout and believe me, I ate a lot of that stuff when I was down South. Um, and it is good, but I just wanted to let you know that, uh, it gave me a craving and I'm not too happy with you right now. So, um, we'll have to talk it out at some point. <laughs> anyway, peace and love. Um, enjoying listening to the shows, catching up and, um, I'll talk to you guys soon. All right. So what hey, do you say? I, uh, I can't control the, the cookout cravings. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm there with you. I, it, it strikes me unexpectedly, and I should say, as the resident uh, physician here, um, I would not advise cookout as any part of a healthy eating or diet plan. It is it is not the healthiest nutrition, but it is delicious if you find yourself in North Carolina, South Carolina, and I think some places in Georgia. Yeah, I have one uh, here in Alpharetta. Hamburgers, corn dogs, milkshakes. So, yeah. so Chicken. clearly not health food, but what about McDonald's, Dr. Steph? Oh, that's not healthy either, but also delicious. <laughs> Just wondering if you ever go there. <laughs> I am, I'm not here to provide dietary advice. It's not, it's not a, yeah. not a model of nutritional. No, no. Uh, sitting here. Well, the kombucha wasn't too well. There you go. Yeah. It all balances. Right. To <laughs> soda, so. Don't judge me. Anyway, but sorry. JJ. Sorry, not sorry. I'll say that much. All right. Well, let's uh, continue with some more feedback here. Thanks, JJ, for uh, sending that in. Uh, number 13. Um, and this is uh, from Jonathan. Dear Captain Jeff and crew, I know you all have spent a lot of time lately discussing 777 engine failures. But I was absolutely riveted to listen to the captain of the flight narrate what happened and the decisions he and the crew made in a conversation on the Blancalirio channel. That's Juan Brown's uh, YouTube channel. Uh, the whole hour-long conversation is great, but his conclusions at the end and just how fortunate he felt that it ended well was really arresting. 
curious if any of you had a chance to listen and if anything there was new or surprising. Thanks so much. And again, this is from Jonathan in Minneapolis. And uh, yeah, if um, I think many of the people that are listening to the show have heard us mention Juan Brown and the Blancolirio channel and um, his analysis uh, at times is just spot on. Well, you know, it usually is. Uh, but uh, having this gentleman uh, who was the captain of United Flight 1175, which was the flight from somewhere on the West Coast to um, Hawaii, and I think they were a couple of hundred miles out from uh, Hawaii uh, when they had this um, explosive engine failure, very similar to the latest what, United 328, I think it was, or whatever, um, mm-hmm. in recent times. Um, and just interesting to hear how they handled the situation, what they experienced, uh, the crew resource management that they went through. And all of that is, uh, is just fascinating, and I highly recommend that you watch this YouTube video, and it'll be in the show notes for you to uh, find it. Anything else? Yeah, it was, it was a it was a great great interview. And the interesting thing about this is that, but uh, I I watched this a couple of weeks ago, and I thought it was uh, interesting that uh, the engine failure was so so bad that it actually knocked off the. Uh, the, the the system that is the triple seven is equipped with to deal with these uh, asymmetric uh, uh, thrust type situations uh, the the tack the thrust asymmetry compensation system was knocked knocked out wow so it was so all this old was school. Uh, yeah it was completely old school IMC and uh, just getting the airplane um, getting the airplane on the ground just just hand flying the whole time which mm-hmm. is why uh, it it's, it becomes so important. Uh, Make sure, and the captain on this uh, video here uh, uh, mentions the fact that it's important to remain proficient in your hand flying now uh, because uh, you might need it. You rely on it. In this case, they very much did. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Jonathan and Minneapolis, for the feedback. Let's continue on. Um, is Laura still with us in the uh, chat room? I know she was with us earlier. No, I don't know if she was, yeah. Um, but uh, she sent this in. Hi, APG crew. Uh, wanted to pass this story along. I came across this company recently on Instagram, and it happens to be located in Michigan. That's where Laura is located as well. It's called Aviator Cookie Company in Midland, uh, Michigan. I thought it would be great to help get the word out. The owner is a furloughed airline pilot, and I love the story behind his business. I'm hoping that this will encourage listeners in the area to visit. I'm planning on making a stop the next time I'm in Midland. They opened March 20th, not that long ago, and uh, sold out early the first day. And then she has a link to this uh, video. And lucky for you, I uh, have it in the uh, folder for the show. And I'm going to play it right now if you guys uh, don't mind. So let me... Hit the share video file, and I hope that ABC well, twelve from Tim in the chat room. Look at this. Oh, uh, what's what are you telling me about now here, Liz? The comment from Tim in the chat room. Okay, hang on, I can't uh, see it oh, right sorry. now. Okay. Um, hang on, let me. Uh... His his neighbor's son owns Aviator Cookies. Oh, so, his yeah, neighbor's son owns Aviator. Cookie. Okay. Well, here I'm gonna small open, world. 
Okay. It's been the lifelong goal of a lifelong Midland native to open up a cookie shop, but because of his job as a pilot, he hasn't really had the time to do it. But the COVID-19 pandemic has actually given him the opportunity needed to get it done, and so he has. Our Colton Sikoraki shares his story from Midland. It's been really a, a mixed, like a blessing in disguise. Chris Welch has been a pilot for more than 25 years and has followed in his family's footsteps. He's one of 14 pilots in his family, and he got his start flying right here in mid-Michigan. I first flew for the first time here at the Midland Barstow Airport on my 16th birthday. Welch has been working at a major airline flying internationally until the COVID-19 pandemic hit. I was uh, flying international routes to Europe, and those were the first ones that were canceled. So I... Uh, Almost immediately overnight, I was uh, I was now home with uh, nothing to do. Sitting idled, Welch knew he wanted to turn a negative into a positive and follow a lifelong passion. And with the help of his two kids, the idea of opening a cookie shop was born. So the idea had been in my head, and then I was driving around town, and my daughter said, Daddy, when I grow up, I want to own a cookie store. So that was all the motivation I needed. For the past nine months, Welch, his son and daughter have been working tirelessly to turn that idea into what is now Aviator Cookie Company, a new shop coming to downtown Midland. Its theme is pretty obvious. The store is paying homage to Welch's roots as a pilot. The store features a countertop made from a 1955 airplane wing and the cookies are first class, all made from scratch. Even the logo has a special meaning behind it. My son helped me create the logo, the idea for the logo at least. He, he pictured an airplane bombing cookies around town, so and that's what it became. Welch has 30 cookie recipes right now and it's always thinking of more. And as he prepares his store for takeoff this weekend, he says he is just happy to be doing what he loves with his family at his side. I'm a, a single dad half the month, um, and I wanted to show them that in life, if you want something, you have to go get it. And they've been a part of this through and through. In Midland, Colton Sikoraki, ABC 12 News. Wow, those look good. They look like the lemon cookies. <laughs> yeah. In case you're wondering, Colton mm. tells us that the cookies taste amazing. Thanks, Colton. Right. <laughs> and that Aviator Cookie Company officially opens this Saturday at noon. He's got a lot of good-looking cookies up yes, there, too. My gosh, caramel. the chocolate chip, molasses, lemon, all mm -hmm. my favorite. If you need quality control, right. I can do Send this it on this the side. Way. Yep. Yeah, I can help out with that, too. Yeah, it looks great. Congratulations okay. to him. I think my... Sounds like the other reporter, Colton, didn't share with the <laughs> Apparently uh, anchors. not. <laughs> and, I, and my, I think my stomach is going to start growing now that I'm thinking about those. Donuts. I know I'm suddenly quite <laughs> oh, hungry. Not donuts, it's just dinner time. It's about. It's, it's almost dinner time here. <laughs> those look really good. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh. Guess I'll have to visit Michigan. <laughs> yeah, uh, Liz was making the uh, the point that uh, that we got to get these uh, furloughed um, Canadian. Uh, coffee roasters uh, together Ooh, with yeah. uh, this guy and talk about a winning combination go. right there. All right. Yeah, so cookie in the coffee and good to go. Yeah. Lost aviator and aviator cookies or lost aviator cookies merged. Ooh. <laughs> All right. Uh, so that information will be in the show notes, especially for those of you out up there, out there uh, who live in that area of Michigan, check them out and support him if you can. Um, he says, or she says, Laura, uh, they do have updated business hours on their Instagram and Facebook pages. It's good to check before you go because they have been selling out pretty frequently as always. Thanks. And love the pod. Thank you, Laura. For she that. did that on purpose. I know she did. That's why she did the wink, wink. <laughs> she goes, this is going to upset see, Jeff. See this comment? See this comment from Tim again? Jeff? Let's see. Tim says, I helped cut that wing from a derelict 
beach on our airport. Wow. Talking about a small world, huh? <laughs> That's it amazing. Small it, it's a small world. It really is. Yeah, it's a small world after all. <laughs> Sorry. That'll be on my upcoming album. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, I look forward to that. <laughs> Teaser. <laughs> the long play version. And apparently, apparently that, yes. uh, that. The one that never ends. It just, you know, like you're on the ride at Don't. Disneyland and you're like, Don't. oh my gosh, I've been on this ride for 20 minutes and it's the same song Don't. over and over. See, that's, that's going to be bad for a night. On the long play album, you, you take it and it's just playing the entire side. You flip it over and it continues playing. Yeah. <laughs> that side. That's, yeah. Oh, nice. Consider nice. the day the album was released. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. Someone named Liz sent this in. Hmm. I think I know who this is. Um, let's see. Controllers Call in the Blind Saves Pilot by the... This is actually from the Federal Aviation Administration. Uh, it says, on his... Second to last day working as a controller in Lexington, Kentucky, uh, home of uh, the Big Ass Fan Company, right? And Greg Peterson, our our biggest ass fan, or <laughs> something like that. Um, Uriah Addington saved a pilot from a potential midair collision. Uriah Addington made his second to last working uh, day working as an air traffic controller count big time before he was promoted to operations supervisor at Cincinnati Tower. On November 27th, 2020, Addington was working flights on the radar scope from Lexington Tower, Tracon, in Kentucky when the pilot of a Beechcraft Bonanza was unknowingly in danger from a converging aircraft. Uh, the the uh, pilot had departed for a short flight to the non-powered airport of Somerset, Kentucky, about 70 miles south of Lexington. After practicing maneuvers in the Lexington airspace with Addington providing service, pilot David Letty said he would proceed southbound without needing air traffic control services. Uh, Addington offered to set up flight following or traffic advisories for Letty, but the pilot declined, saying that uh, I'm a doctor and I don't need anybody's help. No, I'm sorry. He didn't say that. (laughs) That's how we are. Go it alone. (laughs) I was reading between the lines, I think. Sorry. Um, And uh, he said he he, he declined, saying that it was just a short flight he was taking with his son. Addington terminated radar service, but just a few minutes later, he noticed converging traffic on the left side of the aircraft. He alerted Letty immediately. The aircraft was on a collision course to T-bone Letty, and fortunately, he heard the call and was able to maneuver out of the way, recalled Addington. Uh, Letty did not have a chance to thank Addington on the frequency, but when he landed, he emailed the controller to express gratitude for going above and beyond to help avoid what could have been a dangerous situation. He made the call, and it may have been one of those things where he could have avoided a mid-air collision, Letty said. I wanted to thank him for the culture of safety they foster and the important job he and other controllers do every day, except for the ones in the triad area. Letty yeah. was most impressed that while he <laughs> – I don't know why they put that in there, but, you know. Uh, it seems oddly specific. Yeah, very oddly specific. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Let's see. Letty was most impressed that while he had terminated radar service, the controller still had the foresight and professionalism to continue scanning the airspace and make a call in the blind, a transmission without obtaining acknowledgement from the pilot. It was enough to get the pilot's attention. Equally impressive is that no conflict alert went off to help Addington notice the problem unfolding. Truthfully, I didn't think anything of it when it happened, Addington said humbly. I just kept working. It goes back to the way I was trained. 
at different facilities. I've had great trainers that harped at the t- at the need to keep scanning, and that scenario was a perfect example. You don't know if the guy's there or not. You just make that transmission. Air Traffic Services Deputy Vice President Brian Throop commended Addington for his great level of focus and professionalism. Addington was a controller for 12 years, with most of them in Lexington and Jacksonville, Florida, and Air Traffic and Sur- Air Traffic Services selected him to serve as an operations supervisor at Cincinnati Tracon, which borders Lexington's airspace from the north. I'm looking forward to it. I think it will be fun and challenging and something different, said Addington, who is training remotely for his new position. My wife and I are from Kentucky, so we'll still be close to our families. Very cool. Um, And yeah, it was really nice that, you know, he did keep an eye on what was happening there, even though, you know, uh, potentially the person, Letty, uh, the guy flying the beach bonanza, uh, had already switched frequencies or wasn't listening or whatever. But, uh, you know, he heard him uh, call out the uh, warning and may have saved some lives there. Yeah, a great example of a professional who, you know, just trying to make life as safe as possible for all of us in the air. Mm-hmm. I understand, though. How, I mean, why would you? Turn um, uh, flat following down, uh, even 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 though it's. If you're if you're interested in some controllers' opinions of that, I would point you over to those guys from the Triad opposing bases because they've got some very strong opinions. Basically, it boils down to get flight following. Right, please. There's no reason not to. They they just want to get paid more. That's all it is, you know. (laughs) Well, you know, the article did did also say this. I didn't read. Don't think it works that way. (laughs) I think they're getting paid no matter what. The article did mention that, um, like, you know, most controller, uh, many controllers, like such as the ones at Triad, would probably just go and take a break and get some donuts and coffee instead of looking at the screen and keep scanning and keeping people safe. But I didn't want to read that because that's kind of harsh. Yeah, I think so, yes. Because they're probably going to get cookies and coffee. Or cookies and coffee, yes, from the Lost (laughs) Aviator Cookie Company. (laughs) Freebies, kickbacks. Something. There you go. All right. Thanks, Liz. Um, Murillo. Murillo? Murillo. Murillo. Um, Writes in. uh, Hello, APG crew. And the most important one, Liz. Oh, I see now why we have this one in here. Exactly. Hello, APG crew. And the most important one, Liz. But she is part of the crew. Let's see if this uh, makes my feedback get to the show faster. He put in parentheses. It was a bribe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> flattery, flattery will get you everywhere, Mario. He says, my name is Mario Barbosa. I'm from Brazil, but for the past six years, I'm Jeff's neighbor in Marietta. Marietta. North or south of the big chicken? Got to let me know. Anyway, just a quick feedback about the accident on the last show news on which the co-pilot had very few hours and was flying in an airline already in brazil you can start flying as soon as you get your commercial certificate with 250 hours you still need 1500 hours to get an atp but you can fly as a co-pilot with 250 most airlines still require more than that but in the past azul airlines used to hire co-pilots with just 250 hours azul means blue in english and was actually founded by jet blues david nealman Thanks for the amazing show. Be safe. Honestly, you know, Mario, I I didn't have an air tra- uh, airline transport pilot uh, certificate uh, when I was hired by Acme. I just had a commercial uh, certificate, and honestly, I don't know if there was any minimum 
other than what Acme, the airline itself, had for minimum minimum hour requirements. Uh, but I don't. I I think even back then, uh, here in the U.S., it was the same way. I mean, I, as long as I had my commercial certificate here, I I could have been flying for a big major airline. Um, but things have changed since uh, the crash of the. Uh, what was it? Um, Colgan. 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 Four o something rather. Do you remember the number? number? But Colgan. Yeah, yeah the mean, Colgan crash in yeah. Uh, Buffalo. Yeah. So. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you for. This is just a fun aside with nothing to do yeah. with um, his feedback, other than David Nealman went to both my high school and college with the same alma mater. Anyway. Who did? Uh, the JetBlue founder, David oh. Nealman. Okay. Nealman. Is it Neilman or isn't there a D in there? Neil, Neil, it's that's spelled correctly. I just can't remember how to actually. Uh, Neilman, Neilman, Neilman. Yeah. Okay. Does he come to your reunions? No, no, I've never gone to a reunion. To be fair, so. Oh, he's <laughs> probably there every year, giving out free gifts for free everybody. Flights. Free flights, <laughs> free trips on free free yeah. uh, tickets to. Free all right. Probably missed out big time. <laughs> sure. Okay. Um... Let's see. We're getting close to the end of the show here. 17. Um, oh, yeah. Here's a good one. Uh, Steve writes in. Um, just Steve. <laughs> I don't think I have a last name here. Uh, since most of my life happened in the 20th century. <laughs> rub it in. Oh, wait. No, that's for mine, too. I thought he was saying 21st century. But 20th century, that was the century I was born in. Um, let's see. I can't find the review department in your podcasts. So can you, can you use this as a review or no? So you can use this as a review if you wish. <laughs> it's not a question, Jeff. And he gave us four hearts, <laughs> five hearts, no five. five you're hearts. right. Five hearts, like yeah. five stars, but it's five hearts. Are you sure you're an airline pilot? I don't know what I'm doing here. Um, well, as I said at the, the beginning, the requirement is very basic. Don't do too much. Don't do too much research. I think he's, only, I think he's only got a CPL. You know, shut up. Um, all, uh, yeah, several. Re- as I said at the beginning, don't do too much digging up because you're going to blow my cover story here, people. Um, he said, "All your podcasts strike a chord with me. I can't get enough old pilot." Oh. Wow, now we're trying Ooh. to... We can't use that one. Sorry, yeah. Steve. Yeah, I'm sorry. That yeah, review is invalid for that last statement. Right. <laughs> Probably nah. gets rejected every time you put it in. So just, uh, you know, we I don't think, really... I think apparently Nick Nick has been uh, funneling some of that money that he gets paid uh, over to... Uh, what's <laughs> to what's, reviews. Uh, Steve, over to reviews. Paying for reviews. What's going on there? <laughs> so talking about reviews, uh, and I don't, you know, we don't really mention it enough here, Um but, um, yeah, we, we have a lot. What did I look here? Was it 800 some odd reviews, uh, sent 868 reviews on iTunes and podcasts, Apple. They just changed the name of the thing. Um, since I started, um, doing the airline pilot guy show, which was the renamed Catholic pilot, uh, show, um, in 2011. So what that's, what's that one review a year? Huh? <laughs> Apparently, you don't have to be good at math to be a pilot either. Yeah, we've been doing this for eight hundred and sixty-eight years. Yeah, Nick. that's right. That's what I was. Yeah, no, no, that's no, no. Right. Yeah. Just how old are you, Nick? <laughs> Methuselah has nothing on me. <laughs> anyway, 
Um, yeah, you can you can review on uh, Apple Podcasts. Uh, there's a there's a way for you to do that, and uh, and I'm not sure if you can do that with other, you know, we're we're streamed in a whole bunch of different streaming services like um, oh, iHeartRadio and and uh, Pandora and Spotify and TuneIn Radio and all all the streaming places, and I'm not sure if any of those have the ability for you to uh, do reviews as well. But the big place is the uh, the Apple Place uh, podcasts and. Uh, yeah, if you if you feel so compelled to write a review on us, please do. Um, for instance, like this one, uh, the latest one that we had, at least when I was checking the reviews, um, is, is entitled "Coolest Coolest Cast of All." I hate flying, but I love this podcast. It is truly addictive. I love Captain Jeff's sexy voice. Thank you. Love Miami Rick. Captain Nick is so interesting. Dr. Steph is fabulous. Wow. And Liz, oh, the producer director, well, is beyond reproach. Seven yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, we've said that about you it's so very many nice. times. <laughs> yeah. What yeah. do you think about Captain Nick? He, he's interesting. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's, hmm. <laughs> How about this one? Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. All Prince of Believers. Yeah. Ali. Yeah, yeah, Ali, Prince of Believers, believers. <laughs> wrote this review. Uh, the best podcast to kill boring. <laughs> okay, so we're not boring. That's it. good. I like it. No, I like good. it. Yeah. And yeah. and this one, uh, finally, and this is really, this goes to my heart because this is really important to me that we kind of come across as being your friends and being your family because we are. Um, this is from Super Brad 7 Five stars. Listening to this podcast is informative. Um, enterprise and after a while feels like you are actually part of a family. Well done, Jeff and crew. Thanks. So, yeah, you can you can do your reviews there. Now, if you're thinking about doing a review, but it's less than five stars, then don't do it. <laughs> Laura has yeah, a good comment here, Jeff. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does Laura say? Uh, <laughs> April Fool's will be a great day to write some good re- No. Laura. <laughs> okay, somebody Wait until booted, tomorrow. Somebody Wait boot her tomorrow. out of the chat room. Who's got a spanner in the, in the YouTube the chat room? She's doing the pod thing Sorry. again, too. Thanks, Laura. I know. Uh, <laughs> the pod. Uh, okay, that's it. We're uh, we're done. Yep, stick a fork in us. Um, we are going to point you over to our awesome website and uh, a rush is the one that kind of manages that for us. And uh, again, that's airlinepilotguy.com, the uh, website address where you'll find information about all sorts of things, including uh, more information about the amazing, you know, and I have to say something here. Um, This show in particular, but every show that we have since you started doing the plane tales, which is, I don't know, 260 some odd episodes now. did you say Nick? Uh, yeah, about that. It's getting that way. Um, so, I mean, everyone, you know, every time we listen to that plane tale, we, you know, it's like a broken record. Oh, that was like, it was amazing. Uh, you know, you outdid yourself <laughs> again, but I have to also mention the fact that, um, the two news stories that we had, uh, here today, um, that were mm, kind of not totally accurate and real. Iffy. Iffy. Yeah. Um, go ahead, Questionable Steph. journalism. If you need, if you need to run yeah. to say goodbye, I got I to run, so I'm going to delegate ah, my. Uh, I'm uh, sorry, I will catch you up, uh, guys, okay. all next time. But I'm going to delegate my uh, 
social media's responsibility. Oh yeah, to, somebody else is going to have to cover uh, that. Yeah, Rick. Yeah, Rick will do that. Oh, He's man. good. Oh, He's awesome. Good that. Okay, great. That'll be fun. <laughs> All right. All Cheers, right. y'all. See you next week. Bye, Bye Steph. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Are you saying those were? Are you saying those were fake news, Jeff? <laughs> no, I'm not saying that they were fake news, Liz. Oh no, actually, yes, I was. I am saying that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, Nick, he's such a creative guy, and these news stories were just great, and they were almost so good that I almost was believing them when I was first reading them. <laughs> um, so thank you, Nick. Um, you're awesome. Uh, thanks for all the hard work on the show today. Um, it, you really made this April 1st edition nice. very no special. And um, anyway, so, you know, more information about the plain tales and we have a library, APG library. Tiffany is our librarian. We have uh, merchandise and we have, uh, gosh, what else do we have there? Um, information the about the coffee fund, the, the calendar. Li- we've done the library. Yeah. Um, uh, the link to YouTube. You should linked, mention Link that, to YouTube. Yeah, oh, yeah. All, let's all quickly mention that for those of you who are watching this um, uh, live. Uh, and you're using uh, Facebook Live to do it, you'll, you'll notice that probably aren't too many people there um, kind of chatting in the chat room there. It's because I'd say probably 90% of the people that are watching the show and are involved in uh, a very active chat room are on YouTube. And uh, so please check out uh, the uh, website. It has a, a link to get you over to the YouTube channel. And uh, and join us there. I think you'll have a lot more fun. It's a little lonely over there in the Facebook Live uh, chat. So just keep that in mind. Anyway, that's enough of the website and stuff. We're also on social media, what I like to call the social meds. Now, Rick is going to tell you all about oh, be the social meds. Oh, man, I'm going to try my best here. So uh, I can't APG wait. crew on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. APG crew on Twitter. Our individual uh, profiles are uh, on there. If you want to follow uh, each of us uh, individually, now obviously follow APG crew. We're also on uh, Instagram. Seen a couple of pictures of uh, Steph and Jeff and Nick, and uh, I gotta start posting uh, a bit more there myself. Um, you know, Facebook at uh, what's the Facebook one again, Jim? Uh, Jeff. Facebook.com/slash airline pilot guy. Right, and then uh, Hillel does his best at uh, keeping up with uh, the slack. And yeah, uh, is he uh, hanging out in your bathroom there? Well, I I don't know. I mean, it's April Fool's Day, and I'm not sure that. Um... Oh, wait a minute. Well, hang on. I'm I'm turning on the uh, microphone there. Um, hang, hang on. Watch your ears. Hey, Hillel, slack. Okay, but I'm drifting wet. All right. Well, that's all right. Come on over here, and and uh, I'm going to give him a little chance to dry off so he doesn't get all of this equipment wet uh, as he likes to do. Um, okay. There. Are you ready? Uh, please tell us about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at Slack at AirlinePilotGuy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha, Charlie Kilo at AirlinePilotGuy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thanks a lot, Hillel. Now, get on your way back back to the uh, bathroom back there. and. Uh... Okay, thanks. Good advice. I appreciate that. Also, we'd like to thank all the hard work that our producer, director, um, 
in the control room in Toronto, Ontario, Ontario, Ontario. Uh, Liz Piper, thank you, Liz, for all the hard work that you do to make us look good. All right. And with that, looking forward to meeting back again next week and hope you're all able to join us as well. And until then, wishing you clear skies and limited visibility and tailwinds. Take care and God bless. We'll see you next time. Be good out there. Bye, everybody. Good day. I used to be such a good, good pilot. Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy fall I got no friends cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline pilot guy I fly over